Internet. I am here to rescue you. My name is Jonathan Fisk. This is the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. You've fallen under the influence. It is time to wake up. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That means that you, all of you, and all of you are paid for, and that means you are also immortal now, like it or not. Jesus Christ will not be long in his return anyway. It's pretty good news when you stick around to learn what all of it means. We're going to be doing some of that this morning, along with, I'm so excited, the week's been amazing. The thoughts from the Word of God and the Proverbs that I've been finding have been amazing. But on top of that, which I'm going to try to share a taste of it with you, uh, also we have, or we're going to be joined by Dr. Adam Kuntz at the middle of this hour at 9.30 to talk about the ongoing election process in American democracy, like what's supposed to happen between, say, a few weeks ago and then a few weeks from now, and how does it happen? Uh, we're going to be giving like the basic layout of what that is, or he's going to be doing that. That'll be from 9.30 to 10, and then from from 10 to 10.30, I'm going to be joined by Dr. John Bombaro, uh, a old friend and old great guest from previous shows. Today we're going to be talking about woke revivalism, and I'm not even quite sure what that is, but I'm looking forward to hear from him. He's always been uh, entertaining, enlivening, and stimulating as a thinker because he comes from, well, just a wide range of understanding. Yeah, not only is a Marine, uh, and then serves as a chaplain with the Navy, right? Works at the Pentagon, has been a missionary overseas, uh, all sorts of stuff. So anyway, John Bombaro at 10 o'clock. Um, for now, for right this moment now, I want to say, hmm, I don't want to say Happy New Year. I want to figure out how to say Happy New Year like a Christian at the time that we should, which is something like it's Advent. Happy Advent sounds foolish, honestly, it makes you sound like you don't know what you're talking about on multiple fronts, which would be true. So that's not going to work. Merry Advent kind of steals the thunder a little bit, don't you think? I mean, if we're not going to put... <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of like this in a lot of things, like especially when it comes to Christmas songs. But I drove by a church the other day that had you know, church, like they got money, right? They have a building, right? And they had this kind of front yard circa 19... 80s plastic glow nativity set. That's all fine. Whatever. They got it set up out there. It's glowing. There's no baby. <laughs> Where's the baby? Where's the baby? And I, I, I had to stop and wonder, does anybody even know the story and what parade they're playing in front of the passing cars? Is anyone even looking? I had to wonder that. In any case, Mary Advent steals the thunder like singing all your best Christmas carols right now, right? As opposed to the Advent carols, songs, ballads, which lead us into the new year of Christianity, which begins not with Christ's birth, but with anticipation of Christ's birth by the coming of the New Testament prophet, John the Baptist, which is not what Advent's all about, but it is sort of the thematic moment of Advent, which is why it's not really happy <laughs> or merry, although there's a merry or three involved at various places. Ha, see what I did there? But you know what I mean. Point being, Advent's different. And Advent is our New Year as Christians. And the more that I want to wake up from the white noise of the mythology of American salesmanship and all that that means, all the way to the Queen's bloody throne, if I might say it that way, um, literally and, and figuratively, and all those things across the pond, um, that reality that I'm just like, eh, I don't know, not anymore. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to read the Bible and trust the people I know. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, that reality has continued to make me... Uh, question New Year. I never really liked New Year to begin with. Uh, there's nothing particularly great about the new financial year. Uh, it, it is not, it is the, the Roman historical calendar, but I'm not sure really why, why one should be from the other better than the other. 
we have this idea in some way that it's like this many years since Jesus was born, but nobody believes that. And it isn't really connected to his birth directly anyway. Um, it is not really that many years since Jesus was born. It's, we don't even really know, but it's quite a few more. So if you think there's significance to 2020, like I like to think that there is, it's a significance trapped within a mythology that's been made by the American dollar. And so you can only take it that far. The fact is, it's not 2020. There's, that's not the way, the way God keeps track of time. God keeps track of time by lives, by human lives. And whatever that means, I don't know. But the stars are spinning. The sun is there for us to move around it. The earth itself is going like this, right? And we're all on it generation after generation after generation until one generation when it's just like all the others, it's over. That's the Christian point of view. And to keep track of that Christian point of view, the church throughout history has kept track of time, not by the fiscal year of America, nor by the Roman imperial march time or whatever. I don't know what it is. But what I know we have done is we've kept track of time by means of, well, the watches and hours of the day, according to the stars and the sun and the moon, and then year by year, according to the advent of the memory of the Incarnation. We're beginning to remember the incarnation of our Lord and his entire life story, leading us up to that other major moment in history that we do every single year, which is not the conclusion of the church year, but it's like the the midway or the 4th of July of the church year, Easter. Yeah, you've heard of it. Even if you're not a Christian, you've heard of it. Yeah, it's a big deal. He rose from the dead. So that year began like four days ago. So if you're waiting for Christmas because you think that's what season you're in, or if you're waiting for New Year's because you think that's what season you're in, or if you're not even paying attention because your head's spinning around like, like nonsense, slow down. That's what Advent is. It, it's a call in the wilderness. Slow down. It's about to be all over is what John the Baptist said. Any moment now, here he comes. The one who is after me is greater than me and fire he brings. Woke a few people up, got a few people wet. Baptism was a weird thing. That didn't make sense to nobody because baptism was already a ritual. John the Baptist didn't just make this up. He took a ritual used in the conversion of Gentiles into God-fearers that allowed them to come a little bit closer to the temple, into the court of the nations, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Baptism was a, a, a prescription for them to become clean enough in order to get close enough to the temple to be God-fearers. You still don't get to be Jews. You can be God-fearers now. And now out in the wilderness is this Jew baptizing Jews. And the Pharisees are like, what are you doing? He's like, like, I'm doing what I've been sent to do by God. I'm not going to talk to you much later. Go like fix things. (laughs) I'm going to need some bees and stuff, right? Not bees, but you know, you get the idea. It's weird. And that's the theme of Advent, but it's combined with the preaching of Isaiah and the memory of the prophets who know that this forerunner sent in the name of Malachi, I guess I should say, which means my messenger, This forerunner had a whole lot of other stuff said about the guy he was forerunning. One of the things is that the message he brings is comfort. Comfort ye my people, saith your God. When those angels did appear, isn't that the song they sang? Now getting ahead of yourself is fine. It's anticipation of it that is the joy. The goal here for me this year is just to know this is my new year right now. 2020 is over. Whatever that myth was that I went into 2020 with, that COVID blew out of the water, 
it's a new year for me. Everyone else got to wait. The rest of the unbelieving world has got to sit out there and they're like, I can't wait for 2020 to be over because it will make a difference in my life. And <laughs> you know, like nonsense. It's a made up number and a made up story. And yet everyone's going to wait for it and think it's going to be better on the other side. It'd be hilarious if God ended the world at the very last second of their calendar just to like roll them in it. He won't. Probably. I don't know. Nobody does. That's kind of the point, too. <laughs> and that's kind of the point of Advent. You don't know. The times are not the ones you think they are. They're the ones God has set you to be in. And that always means repenting into greater awareness of what you didn't see in the sin of yourself, the sin of your neighbor, the sin of your country, and then striving to, like, by repenting, not do it anymore in some way. Which brings me, that brings me right to where we want to go. We want to get into some Proverbs this morning. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, have I fallen more and more in love with this book. I, I intend to never stop talking about it, and you will be so frustrated by me if you do not like wisdom. You will, you will decry me. You will, you will call me the idiot, not because I'm wise, but because I'm just going to keep saying what the wise guy said, and if you're a fool, what the wise guys say is you're going to hate me. <laughs> so I'm ready for that. Bring it. You, I'm just going to say what the text says. You go ahead and like tell me I'm the idiot. Um, I think, mad Christian, indeed, I am. Uh, put the spittle on your beard if you got to do it. Incise your gates with the room whatever it takes to convince the Philistines that they should just ignore you. But at the same time, don't pretend for one moment you don't know exactly what you're doing. So uh, Proverbs 28, I think the one that just sparked my mind here is here. It's, it's verse 4 as I was talking. I have a couple I want to look at. I want to look at 1 and 2, 4, 5, 8, 9, 12, 14. So anyway, um, but number 4 says this, Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Okay, so first in there, the word law. Don't do a Lutheran law gospel thing right there. Please, do not do it. Law and gospel is a particularly glorious light for understanding the distinction between the religion of man and the religion of God. That's what law and gospel is good for. It is not a very good hermeneutic if by it you're going to do violence to the text by making words in English mean things they don't mean in Hebrew, right? That's what's going on here. This is the word Torah, which indeed can be translated in English law, but has a wide application of, of translation, the, the most summary of which is the, is the Greek logos. The word became flesh. And so really from, from the Old Testament language, wisdom is closer to this than say law is Lutheran style. Okay, Now I'm not against, again, law and gospel is a particularly glorious light. I confess the formula, every single verbatim bit of it, I do wonder what we mean by Kaepernick eating sometimes, but that's an interesting little side comment. If you want to go attack me, go for it. The point is here in this text, this isn't about not doing good things. This isn't about those who forsake the second use or the third use. This is not about that. This is about those who don't listen to Jesus at all, okay? Those who don't listen to God at all, those who forsake Torah, God's voice. What do they do as a result? They say, oh, wicked people, they're awesome. Look at how cool they are. I'll vote for those people because they're going to help us. Mm. Oh, yeah. And you can fill in the blank however you want. Don't, don't make me do it because, frankly, the world is that bad and we do well to believe it at some point. We really would. Those who forsake the voice of God will look at the wicked and praise what they do, but such as keep the voice of God, the Word of God, the Scriptures. You know, I'm encouraging you to read the, read the Psalms, read the Proverbs. You should get into the New Testament. It's fairly important, yeah? Um, such as would keep, guard, cherish these things they contend with them. Who's the them? What's the referent of the them? Are you contending with the word of God? No, you're not contending with the word of God. You're contending with the wicked. I love this verse. Those who hate God's word 
do bad things and say bad things. But Christian, you know what? If you love God's word, you are empowered to contend with them. English, that means fight back. And it doesn't mean punch them in the face, by the way, just because I said fight doesn't mean punch. There's better ways to fight than just with your fists, especially in an age of nuclear bombs. <laughs> especially in an age where the, where the ruling idiot says, uh, oh, it's just an idea, don't worry about it. Okay, yeah, go ahead, dude, you keep saying that. Thank you very much. Preach that long and hard, and I'll stay right where I am saying what I'm saying. Oh, for pity's sakes. Such as keep God's voice will contend with the liar, wherever the liar is found. Now, this doesn't mean be a jerk about it. Uh, you got to know your audience. And right now, my audience, if you don't like the way I'm talking, it's because I'm talking to 40 to 20-year-old men. That's who I'm talking to. I'm talking like we talk when you're not around. Uh, yeah. Okay, so it's cool. We're all cool with this. No one's mad. No one's like hating each other. No one's all ruffled. We're just not girls. Okay, so cool. You want to chime in and follow the guys while they talk? That's cool. But don't get all up in it when we actually talk like it. When we get real and deal with what we're seeing in this up-and-coming millennial reality, which is very different than the boomer one. And if you don't believe me, I got a million books to throw you. I'm not making it up. And all the guys running everything have been saying, well, it's changing, it's changing for like 30 years. But no one knows why or how. They're all very confused. And it's amazing because the research being done on this has been being done for 30 years by pagans. Who were, I guess, afraid to read or listen to or think about or talk to. I don't know. Well, we'll listen to the heterodox. All day long. Purpose-driven. How's that church doing? Really? I don't know. I know how the big ones in my town are doing. Not as well as we are. I tell you that. There's a liability right now. Contending with evil is not what Joel Osteen did when he was on national TV. Is not what Rick Warren did when he was on national TV. They did not contend with evil. They joined it. They jumped to elite status, and they lived it. They left the people. Uh, proven by their security teams. Hmm. Hmm. Ask Chris Rosebro about that one. All this being said, I just want you, wherever you are today, if you are a Christian at all, it makes you a son of God, okay? If you're a Christian at all, you are a son of God. That's the, the designation God has given you in the resurrection, so own it. But if you're a, a man in this age and a woman in this age, you, we will have distinctions in the life of the world to come. We don't know what it's going to be. The Bible is very unclear about this. But in this age, our distinctions remain. They remain in place as part of our biological reality, which you've seen the world trying to get rid of, and they're not going to stop. And you can, you can continue to be like, I don't understand why they're doing this. You can be like, oh, the Bible says they're crazy. That's why. Yeah. So, so that's the reality. And then you are free to contend with that false reality they preach. You are free to say, nope, it's wrong. And it's like, I don't like it. You're mean. You'd be like, that's a foolish thing to say, my friend. You know, and this is not, again, punch, punch, mean. It actually comes with something of, of gentleness. And I don't know how I'm going to learn gentleness better in an age in which man is going to become more and more barbaric the further we go because it's the only thing he can do to protect himself in a, a, a pressure system of hyper-feminized we. The, the, the we feminine voice is just shoving masculinity down. It's crushing us. And what you're seeing is a lot of people acting out on this. It's not healthy. It's not good. I'm not sure we can do anything about it other than believe what this verse says. When you see evil, a good man contends with the evil man. 
And he will do this by knowing what the scriptures say about good and evil. So if we're going to talk about pacifism, as we probably should, since it's a bad idea and not prescribed by the Bible, you know, we should do that, but only when the Bible makes us get there, too, or when circumstances dictate it. And then this is where the history, by the way, of having like a, a, a tradition, a dogmatic tradition, hey, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, right here— the value of reverential resources to previous conflicts where you were like, oh, man, we don't know what to do about this. What's the Bible say? Like, does the confessions talk about this controversy having come up in the past? It might have a solution. Yeah, These wise men who left us all these assets because of their steadfast commitment to holding the faith and their belief in the truth, maybe they said things well. Yeah, And you go back and you look and you find they knew what they were doing and talking about and you can learn something more. I mentioned Roseboro earlier. I don't plan to preach him all morning, but you should check out Pirate Christian Radio if you've never found it. It's, it's worth finding. And he's fighting for the faith. It's his primary show there. Um, I was going to say something he had said long ago. I talked about him instead. Pitched him. Lost the thing. So we're just going to go back to the Proverbs. So, oh, Chris, you're going to have to be satisfied with not being the Proverbs themselves. So here, I'm going to take us, before we get uh, the call in from Kuntz at 930, I'm going to take us through a number of these Proverbs. Uh, and you should read the whole chapter. It flows m- more like a book than a lot of the rest of the Proverbs. Uh, like uh, Sometimes it feels very scattershot. There's these longer sections of Proverbs that will have like uh, kind of their own thematic poem going on within them. But this one literally reads like uh, lessons and rules for a father, for a leader, for a uh, one who would stand up for the truth in any time and any age. And especially then the people who are right now saying, what's going on? Why is this going on, right? I want an answer. Okay, this, this whole chapter is like really, really good for you. <laughs> uh, so uh, 21st one, we won't look at all of it, but I'm going to take us through a couple of the key ones uh, that jumped out to me this morning. First off, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. So right now, are you afraid or not? If you're afraid, are you running from nothing? I'm not saying you are. There might even be a lion pursuing you. Is your, if you're a Christian and the lion is pursuing you, you should in fact go into fight or flight and run away. That's right. But should you live in constant fear of lions pursuing you? No, not really. Even if it's like, well, we're probably going to die tomorrow. So what do you do as a Christian? It's likely that four-fifths four of us will be dead by tomorrow due to the fact that the invading power has sentenced four-fifths of us to death and we're going to draw straws to see who goes and gets killed. What do you do as Christians then at that point? You whine, you cry, you own it. The righteous are bold as a lion. They own it. So we either have a a world-crashing pandemic of actual viral proportions, or we have a world-crashing pandemic of communication software proportions. Viral. Intellectually viral, at least. So one of those two things is going on. Are you going to be afraid? Are you going to be bold? That's that's what Proverbs 28 says, is that if you are justified in Jesus— you're going to be bold. So don't take that like, well, I don't feel bold. Who cares if you don't feel bold? I told you you're going to be bold. Listen to it. This is your God talking to you. I mean, the paper's not, the computer's not, I'm not, but the breath, the word, the redeemed air coming out of our mouths with sounds that mean eternal realities, that is. That's this Holy Spirit working. That, comfort, comfort ye my people, the comforter comforts by speaking the word of God. There was a little conversation in the Mad Christian Discord uh, last night or recently about you know, random Bible verses that come to mind at, a, at an opportune time, is that the Holy Spirit? And the you know, discussion was kind of like, well, you can't say for sure. And that's true. You can't really pin it down for sure. Except for, yes, it is, obviously, because the, the Bible's always the Holy Spirit. He might be coming to confuse you and lead you into your wickedness since you have resisted him so long. 
I mean, that, that could be. So it's not like you're off the hook, right, of any random Bible verse being used for evil. But the point is, if you're a Christian and you're studying the Bible and you're talking to someone and you think of a Bible verse, you should say it. You should just say it. It really should be said a lot. Oh, that's like the time or that's like the story of. I wish we'd do that. Oh, man, you're just like, that's the time David did this. We don't even know the stories because we're too big on all the other stories. They got, you know, glashy, glamour, boom, boom, booms. Yay, blue light. The righteous are bold as a lion, it says. Verse 2, because of the transgression of a land, many are its princes. Just sit on that and think. Whoa, wait, what? Because of the transgression of a land, many are its princes. That could mean at least three different things right off the bat, and probably means all of them in my head. Uh, but a man of understanding and knowledge, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, right will be prolonged. Oh man, well that's a curveball. And then, oh no, it all fits together. That's incredible. I haven't told you what it means at all. Do you know what it means? Are you interested? Is it interesting that the, the Proverbs begins with this, to understand the riddles of the riddlers, or the, the sayings of the wise yeah. riddles of the riddlers <laughs> uh, uh, the, the, the perplexing phrases of those who actually do know and they say something you're like I don't know what that guy just said right and you're like well then you have to figure it out it's a riddle not like Frodo did or Bilbo did where it wasn't really a riddle it was more like of a pun game this is actually a saying of wisdom that has a lot packed into it think art of war on steroids now, I'll give you my short translation of this, is that the worse, the more godless the people get, the, the less there will be a unified leader, whatever system they think they're running, the less they will have a unity behind the leader. They'll have a diversity, a fracturing of those whom they follow and trust. But the fact is that a king, a good king, is still the best way to run the world. There aren't many. And when they are there, they pass too, which is part of the problem of being waiting for the real good one to come back, right? We're in this journey. But it doesn't change the fact that by a man of understanding and knowledge, right will be prolonged. If you're worried about all that's going on way up high in your land because of the fracturing, get involved in your neighborhood and be a good man. Straight up. It's great stuff. Verse 4, uh, we already looked at. Uh, verse 5, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. So I am tired of hearing people say, I heard someone say this and that. I don't understand. I heard someone say this and that. It doesn't make any sense. I heard someone say this and that. Why would they say that? It doesn't, I, I don't understand. Okay, so read this. Evil men do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand all. So you have sanity. And the person that you are talking to whom you do not understand does not. They have authentically gone mad with the spirit of this age, drunk upon the belief that they can outlast death. Of course they don't understand what they're doing. They're nuts. They're nuts. Absolutely bonkers. And the sooner you get it, just the more you're able to breathe easy because you don't have to listen to their tripe all the time. Oh, okay, okay, they're just talking. I know what they're going to say. <laughs> they're talking about that mythology again. That lie that I can now discern and don't have to let drive my conscience. Tick, tick, tick. Ooh, ooh. Okay, we're, we're going to go on. Uh, verse 8. This one's so good. One who increases his possession by usury and extortion gathers it for him who will pity the poor. I, I love the fact. I don't love the fact. I'm, uh, I abhor that I learned from Dr. Kuntz will be on shortly to talk about voting procedures. Um, uh, what I learned from him about Delaware usury laws. The state of Delaware has 40% level usury laws. 
meaning that you can, by a virtue of a lot of strings run around the globe, be enslaved to debt forever via the state of Delaware. Delaware, a, a, a hard to uh, what get into region of the country where money seems to flow and where information only goes out to tell us what to do. Over time, you can start to wonder. And I don't want. I'm not just being crazy. I'm just saying. Look, I don't care. I honestly don't. I live in Rockford, Illinois. I got enough problems here without worrying about what's going on in Delaware. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. But the the fact is, well, where to go? Where the verse go? Usury is legal in Delaware. What happens to the one who builds with usury? Well, he dies eventually. And here's the beautiful thing about this verse. Whatever they steal, God's going to give it to someone who eventually will use it for good. You can take that to the bank. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the land allotted to the justified. Let the justified reach out his hand to iniquity. Keep praying for a good leader and you'll get one eventually. But don't pretend you can pray watching TV <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> you can't do it, right? So you have to, you have to face your reality. I mean, it's going to say, oh, well, here it is. Oh, goodness, it's right there in the next verse. I didn't even have this one written down. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. But it's kind of a, I mean, just read that to yourself. Even his prayer is an abomination. Even his prayer is an abomination? God hates prayer? The Bible says God hates prayer. Look at it. I'm just going to stand here and wait. Look at it. Look at it. You figure it out. It says something. It means something. I'm waiting for you. <laughs> God hates the prayer of the one who doesn't listen to God. And so if you feel like your prayers are not being answered, it's because you're either praying for the wrong things or you're praying for the wrong things. And the reason you're praying for the wrong things is because you're not listening to God on some level, either on what you should pray for or what you should not pray for. You somehow have idolized something that is not him. And I'm not saying that if you undo it, all life will get better. You'll just be more satisfied with what you actually have. <laughs> it's irony. I mean, the Stoics figured this out. It's not like you need Jesus to figure this out, but Jesus just gives it to you. He's just part of the package. He's like, oh yeah, and by the way, you know, you're great where you are. Oh, are you about to be burned alive at the stake? Guess what? You're going to be excited to pray the Lord's Prayer. It's going to feel good. You're going to ask for it. Oh, I heard this one about Joan of Arc. I don't even know if I believe it. I don't know enough about her at all. Love to ask Dr. Koontz about that one. Um, but anyway, she asked for a crucifix from the local church to hold while she burned. Like, God bless the woman. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But yes, somebody was ready. Someone knew what was coming. She wasn't afraid. She wasn't afraid, guys, cowering in your Nintendos. Uh, I'm right there with you. Hmm. Twelve. When the righteous rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. Has there been like a big tick up in ammo and gun purchasing the last four to five months? Huh. I wonder if everyone thinks the wicked are gaining power. Huh. Well, the Bible would seem to indicate that is true. Pastor Fisk, how can you talk about politics like this? <laughs> this that's where we're coming from. No wonder we're falling apart, right? We can't even look at the reality. Uh, verse 15, like a roaring lion and a charging bear is a wicked ruler over poor people. They all voted for her too. Yeah, I mean, they didn't know. I mean, or maybe they did. I don't know. They don't care. Maybe it was all stolen. I don't know. The fact is, just watch. The poor are not going to be better off in four years. Well, I can't tell the future. I don't know who our president is yet. I'm just a cynic, I suppose. Verse uh, 15, 16. Oh, hey, hold on. Before someone who's a Lutheran gets all upset, well, how could he say that? Trump is evil and they're all white supremacists. I'm going to tell you that. Um, here comes Dr. Koontz. Uh, uh, I'm going to tell you that Trump is pro-life and Joe Biden was not. And that's just the way that it is. Trump is pro-life and Joe Biden is not. There's going to be more babies killed as a result of four years of Biden than there will be of four years of Trump. It's just the facts. 
And so know that a wicked ruler, right, is gonna, he's going to ruin the poor people's lives even more than they already are. All right, we're going to go. Let's see here if I get out of this. Adam Koontz is here with us, but I'll make sure we get him on the screen. Well, welcome, Adam. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Where am I? Where am I? Come on, camera. It's on desktop, and it wants me to go. My hotkey is not working. There we go. And there's Adam. And then we can do this. Let's see here. I should be able to half screen this. Hold on here. Uh, I don't know that. Welcome, Adam. What we're going to be doing this morning with you is more important than how I look on the screen as we just went away. Um, in fact, I want to give you the screen as much as possible so that you can talk about um, procedure Yeah. Uh, with regard to after November votes happen, there's like this whole process that goes on that right. we always assume like, oh, yeah, someone's taking care of it, right? Like, right. And what is and- that? So you're going to be talking about that all the way up to as far as you need to go. And I'm going to try to give you, we got half an hour, so take it away. Yeah. And I think the reason that we think that it works is because generally it has, and it does. Um, but some of the history as to why the process is set up the way it is, is because there have been at least two big, big times in the past that things haven't worked well. Um, so in 1800, we weren't sure who was going to be president and that was thrown into the house. And after, 30 plus ballots, Jefferson became president. And then in 1876, which you might have learned is the end of reconstruction. The reason it's the end of reconstruction is because we had a lot of controversy over who was going to be president then. And so a lot of the law for the procedure surrounding what happens between election day in November and who actually gets sworn in January 20th is because Procedures only work under normal circumstances, but when you have enormous controversy, they don't work or they work as a kind of a sham. Well, I mean, mean, there's no enormous controversy. The the, the news is very clear that we have a president-elect, it's been declared, and there's no controversy. So, I mean, that's half the people think that, or we're supposed to believe that half the people think that. Right. And so like the process for uh, how the Electoral College, which is going to meet December 14th in their state capitals, uh, they, unlike a lot of American voters, have to meet in person and vote in person (laughs) on a single day, December 14th this year. Um, I think it's the second Wednesday uh, in December. Um, So that varies. But they have to meet in person. The reason that that happens is because how they were voting and how things were organized was not entirely clear or wasn't working all that well. And that's what changes after 1800. So your, your 12th amendment comes about because we have to be a lot clearer about how the electoral college functions, uh, stuff that's not exactly in the constitution, but is in the U S code is what comes out of the big mess that 1876 was. And the reason it was a mess was because you had a situation after reconstruction that was somewhat like some of the dissension in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin. And that is that you get two separate sets of electors in the electoral college. And so you get two separate sets sent to Congress for certification of votes for president and vice president of the United States. And they have to decide in 1876, what are we going to count, like whose votes from Louisiana, Florida, in this case, these are all southern states in 1876, whose votes count. 
So you can actually, yeah, go ahead. I'm just curious. So again, walk us through the, the small details of on this particular issue, why it was suspect. Why were there two sets of votes? I didn't quite catch that. Yeah. Okay. There's two sets of votes because you have two separate sets of people appointed by different authorities. Because when you're talking about how an election, even a federal election runs in Louisiana or Pennsylvania or Hawaii, you're talking about things that are regulated by state law. Mm-hmm. So, which is why can, there's so much diversity. I mean, that's I was true. asked that's, recently, that's why is it different it. everywhere? Right? It's like, well, right. that's kind of on purpose, I think. It is, and that's why, like, who the Secretary of State for your state is, which, you know, honest, let's be honest, like, none of us knew that. If even if some of us know that now, none of us knew that in mm-hmm. like October mm-hmm. or cared. Um, the reason that matters is because those things are certified by state secretaries of state and they're regulated by state law. So like you can find a letter from uh, Pennsylvania state legislators uh, that came out, I think today or yesterday, asking their entire congressional delegation, their federal congressional Mm -hmm. delegation, please do not recognize the votes that are being forwarded to you for certification Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. by our governor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in 1876, you have a situation where they're not asking, hey, don't certify these votes. They're saying, hey, we have voters, too. And they're the right voters. So you get from several different states. I think it was four different states, separate sets of votes, one Republican electors, one Democratic electors. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they just didn't, didn't vote together. And then the receivers had to decide which one to take. Yeah. And the people that receive it, the so the, the process that's outlined here constitutionally is that in the presence of the entire Congress, the president of the Senate, which you may or may not remember or know, the is president. the vice president of the United States. Mm. And on January 6th, when this happens, that will still be Mike Pence, yeah. regardless of who is sworn but in this, on January Isn't this 20th. then the greatest fear they have is that Pence says, and we have the military and we rule the world. And then, and then that's like the tyranny of white supremacy. Yeah, right? well, yeah, that's the, I mean, that's I mean, the scare I mean, like, tactic. Literally everything is going to be white supremacy anyway. You already know that, right? Like, but, but so how uh, likely is it that Pence would use that situation to um, do something uh, to further the executive branch? How likely who knows? Do you think that is? Do you who know? knows? Okay. Because okay. there are a lot of different options here because December 14th, the electors meet. They then send copies. I think it, one goes to Congress and one goes to the National Archives. But there are at least – and it's interesting that – when it actually matters or when it's really hard to fudge, we're still using paper and physical presence, which we won't do for like normal people. Right. You know, you just press a button and it goes into the it goes into the machine, you know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that this year at all. That really bothered me. It's like you're a lion. Yeah. Well, in Illinois, you can rest. You can rest assured. I can rest matter. assured. Although it did for my local congressman who uh, had lo- had won by 200 votes, was declared winner. And then there were mail in votes they have found. And he's been declared loser, but there's still this same kind of process, I think, is going on in Illinois. Like, it's not settled yet here either, and there's a difference of 200 votes. So, it, I mean, uh, right. ah, I don't know. Who, right. which, which, which person under Madigan down, down in uh, the center of all the power let that one get away from them? That should have been at least a 1,000 to 2,000 win, right? I, mean, I don't know how that happened. I know. I know. Well, that, that must mean it doesn't matter that much. But what matters know? is that, okay, so I, I want to get into what you're going to say about uh, yeah. from, from right now. You have these electoral college delegates in several different places that are disputed, right? Disputed, 
Yeah, Talk about those and, and then what could happen between now and then that you think is important, right? What's that process? Yeah. So the slate of electors has been uh, ascertained. That's the term. Uh, I think in most, if not all of those states. So, but you do have until December 8th, six days before the electors meet, you have until December 8th to nail that down if it's not already nailed down, because there's going to be an interrelationship in every state between state law about, for instance, how we do this. And uh, in many states now, especially after 2016, whether or not electors are allowed to vote contrary to the popular vote in their state, that's called those are called faithless electors when they do that. And I think in 2016, five of them abandoned Hillary and two of them abandoned Trump. So you have until December 8th uh, under what's called the safe harbor provision, which is a phrase going back to Bush v. Gore in 2000 about when and how slates of electors can come to be. So December 8th is a the date. Then December 14th is when all of the electors, you know, there's going to be like 55 in California and there's three in Wyoming, for instance. All of the electors are going to meet in their state capital, Sacramento, you know, Jefferson City, Harrisburg, different state capitals. And they're going to produce um, votes for president and vice president. Those will then be signed, sealed and delivered to Congress and the National Archives, respectively. I don't foresee right now, not the way that they're fighting it. I don't foresee that we're going to get separate sets of electoral votes from Wisconsin for Trump and Biden, respectively. Mm -hmm. They don't seem to be pursuing that angle because what they seem to be doing is both contesting votes that is trying to halt this certification process, which is supposed to be done in three days. And on the other hand, appealing the validity of various things in the courts, mm -hmm. which is really different from 1876 right. or down to now, and is it, how much more important the courts are. Yeah, it shows you where the split of power uh, has come, right? Where yeah, Where is right. the real authority? Why was ACB such a big deal? Uh, or Ginsburg dying when she did such a big deal? Right. All of that. Right. Now, and that's going to be different on each state level too, like different court proceedings. And this is where it gets harder and harder to project anything because you have so much diversity. Well, it's going to be a lot of this stuff is being appealed federally. And so then it matters like who the federal judge is in that district that's going to hear the case. And then also it matters for that district, third district, fifth, uh, well, circuit, circuit, fifth, third, ninth, whatever. It matters also which Supreme Court justice oversees the cases arising from that circuit. <laughs> and so it matters, for instance, that like Clarence Thomas has you know, supervision over, I, I believe, the circuit that covers Georgia, which is his, his home state, if I remember correctly. It's either mm -hmm. Georgia or South mm -hmm. Carolina. So and that affects how and when and why things get taken up by the Supreme Court, because I think the thing to recognize practically, this is not in the Constitution of the U.S. Code, is that at this point in our history, functionally, the judicial branch is supreme over the other two. And so it seems like they could stop I, I don't say this is like good legal constitutional or otherwise. I just think You're it just is. You're just talking about what is, yeah. but I, I guess where I want to kind of jump into and make sure that that's clear because um, yeah. there, there's a lot of good constitutionalist thinkers that I would agree with that say, well, this is not what should be. The Constitution says this. The Constitution says that. Right. But right. we're living now. <laughs> and, <Right. you> know, <laughs> and if, if you have some right. – if you, if you have five of nine princes who believe the Constitution is more like guidelines – then that's what you got. 
right? And and right. to acknowledge that the Supreme Court is a nobility of sorts, an elected nobility still. But I look, I mean, it's like Hunger Games. It's, it's straight up Hunger Games. You got to fight hard, and then you maybe get in, right? And then you know, and and then you get a rule forever, right? And your yeah. your children will be governors and all this kind of stuff. Um, that reality I, I've taken as a tangent now. Um, it matters, but I think I can bring us back with this. Yeah. Um, the the right, if we're going to use that language, and on a brief history of power, our podcast, we don't always want to use that language. Um, but the right has this idea that the judge will rule justice based on what actually happened. Yeah. And so it's like you have this really Achilles heel reality where doing the right thing might, in fact, get um, the wrong thing done through doing the system. Doing the right thing might be suicide. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And I think that the left has been more insightful historically, although I think um, it seems to me that at least the Trump administration, if if not the Republican Party, is actually playing hardball in their legal challenges. And they recognize that it matters much more who is the judge than what the law is. Is it ironic then that they spent so much time filling federal justice seats that were left open by the Obama administration? I mean, he boasted about that in the in the in the. um, Yeah, no, I I don't don't think. I, I think I think that's probably one of the best things that he could have done for himself. So not just in the Supreme Court, but if I issue a challenge in Wisconsin, I be, you know I I think specifically in the case of Wisconsin, their challenge to results in Wisconsin is coming before a Trump appointee. Right. right. And so that's not always entirely reliable. Like see the career of John Roberts. Right. But it's, it's better than you know. Okay, my challenge came before a woke intersectional judge appointed by Barack Obama right. in 2011. Right, who will you know. simply rule agenda straight right. up. Right, like, reliably, the left is much more Can you reliable. defend that, though? Because I have, I think, probably half my listening audience in on, on Saturday mornings would not agree with that necessarily or just assume that there are justices who simply rule with an agenda. They do not, they have a checklist of what they do, and they do it, and it's a job, they get it done, and they do not care about the case. I'd say my experience in courts, there's more than a few of these. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Your face is yeah. enough. <laughs> exactly. And and I think that 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 dynamic is so reliable that even in cases where no one has really set up a court system, uh, the way Congress erected the federal judiciary with the Supreme Court and the district courts and stuff, which is not you know th- that power is assigned in the Constitution. The structure of it is completely up to Congress. But they're so they believe so much in this system of doing things that within the case of like the immigration system, you have all these immigration quote judges, et cetera. They're not really federally no, judged. That's what I've seen like, here with the, the child family services stuff. Yeah. It's they, just, they wear robes, you know, I mean, really they're bureaucrats, but they behave as judges because that has a sanctity in modern America wow. that, that really nothing else does. And it takes away rights too. You don't have a jury of your peers. You don't have a jury of your peers in those courts. Right. It's really something else. And there's a long history of, say, the Federalist and other the like-minded uh, uh, philosophical, political institutions uh, unearthing this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, right. So where, where we are here, then again, is there anything about the process from November to January that we haven't talked about? Is there another loophole somewhere, another bubble? How do the yeah. courts get involved in this if they do? I mean, that seems like a, a made-up right. thing. Yeah, we, we really have no idea. And you would have to know in any specific case— how fast that case is moving, who it's coming before, when hearings are happening. Some of the hearings that have been happening that are not uh, judicial hearings, but legislative hearings in places like Arizona and Pennsylvania. Uh, Michigan had a lot of uh, somewhat hilarious characters testifying. Um, 
those are all cases in front of Republican controlled legislatures. And that will affect how that legislature pursues the powers that it has to, like in the case of Pennsylvania's Republican controlled legislature, to request that its delegation not certify, because all of this is building up to January 6th. So what does it mean with the request to not certify? What, what does that achieve? Yeah. That means that uh, obviously Pence uh, it is going to take cognizance of what the states themselves in their in their legislative you know bodies have requested, like our votes are illegitimate. And I'll explain what that means in a second. But what it also means is that in the case of potentially what's called a contingent election, where we can't discern any clear winner from the Electoral College, the vote for the president is then thrown into the House and the vote for the vice president is thrown into the Senate. That's super interesting. Gamify that. Game that out. What happens? So in in that case, you're dealing with uh, the new house and senate (laughs) yeah okay which is why the georgia runoff elections are happening when they're happening because you need a new house and a new senate on january 6th okay then whoever controls those which is potentially i believe republicans and who knows um whoever controls those then votes for the president Right. So again, but you're talking the House. So this would be, in theory, Pelosi still, right? I don't know. Yeah. 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 And but the Senate would still have you would be have a Democrat controlled Congress is the expectation, right? And a Republican controlled Senate is the expectation. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Which would be yeah. really interesting to have Biden be president and Pence be VP, Pence be and he, Pence would be our next president. I'm all for this. Let's go. Okay, so let's do it. So. <laughs> The, Dear Lord Jesus, option, have mercy. I'm going to get off the screen. Go talk. You talk. The option that it's <laughs> the option that would be almost as strange as Biden president, Pence vice president, would be, uh, but this this is procedurally unsure because the thing that controls this is a law that was developed in the 1880s, coming out of the problems in 1876, and it's called the Electoral Count Act, and it is unclear, and everyone recognizes that that law is convoluted and unclear. What's unclear is. What does it mean that the vice president, the president of the Senate, that's his capacity, uh, is recognizing the votes? Is he allowed to say, Pennsylvania, nope, wasn't good, and just put those away? Those are 20 electoral votes. So suddenly, it doesn't matter who won Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Georgia. Yeah, I saw the footage from Georgia. Doesn't nope. look good. No, yeah, right. first pipe doesn't look good. Nope, not going to recognize those. Suddenly you have a situation in which these things become irrelevant. Now, the question is, at that point, does the House, does the, does the Democrat-controlled House have to recognize this process as legitimate, and can they just walk out? Because it is clear that all of this has to happen in the presence of the House and the Senate assembled as Congress jointly. Oh, interesting. So, so what if they walk a, out is the true like uh, 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 nuclear option, though, right? There's no precedent for if they walk out of that. What what happens then? Yeah, yeah. there's no precedent for that. And but then the military has to pick a side. Is what happens then? Uh, yeah, historically, yeah, right? right? Like, historically, I think that's what happens. I don't. I'm not saying. Other, I'm not advocating. The other procedural thing. I'll just say this procedurally, right? Before we 
before we talk about things that are completely potential but not procedural. <laughs> the other procedural thing at that point is that the Presidential Succession Act, of which there have been a couple and it's been updated, that would indicate that if we don't have an indubitable president by January 20th, which is a const that's a constitutional date, by January 20th, if we don't have somebody, the Speaker of the House becomes acting president of the United and States. And that's the most terrifying possible thing ever. That's well, Nancy Pelosi's going to have to get her hair done at that point, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, but what does that even mean, uh, honestly? I don't know. It, with her in know. that position, I mean, golly, I can only see all chaos ensuing at that point. Yeah. Uh, but that's where. Okay, so you mentioned in brief history of power, maybe it was after it, right? That the 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 desire to prophesy, the desire to see down the road yeah. and decide this is what will be, and I will prepare, yeah. is natural and by and large foolish. So you want to talk maybe a little bit about that and how uh, what what should a Christian do then if the powers that be far away are fighting? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, especially towards the end of each of these episodes recently with Brief History of Power, have been about steps you can take individually and collectively, because some of the I mean, all of this is largely out of our hands. Prophesying is, you know, kind of by which let's be you and I both get in trouble for using words in ways that people are not familiar with. Yeah, sure. we mean saying something coherent and helpful about the future. I guess the word maybe we should try to adopt is futurist yeah. Uh, yeah. to, to engage in being futurist. And both of us are, right. that's a lot why people listen to right. us in other places, right. but right. it's a very dangerous thing to do. Right. I would say that speaking about what's going to happen on January 6th, for me, the wild card there is Mike Pence and what he does because he has been so loyal to Trump. And Trump is so obviously fighting all of this. Mm-hmm. It's also a wild card, completely, what the courts will do between now and Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Um, what's not really a wild card to me is that somehow the the GOP congressional delegation, House or Senate, would fight over this. They're they're not fighting anything right now. They're, they're what do you they're, think about that? That I'm not at all surprised by that. Um, and because they've been doing this for years and years and years. so But that's a big a part of, of our narrative on the brief history of power, so I want you yeah. to pitch that. I mean, we've got another 10 yeah, minutes so here. Just tell what, some of that. What we're saying is you should not be – look at what people do and have done in the case of the GOP for decades, not what they say they're going to do. Because let's just take an example that is really kind of poignantly clear. After the early 1970s, you get an enormous political realignment starting in the American South and then really all over the nation where conservative Christians become completely reliable Republican voters. This was not always the case. Like 100 years ago, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod were pretty much completely reliable Democratic voters for complex historical reasons that don't matter right now. Once you get that realignment with conservative Christians in the 1970s, which is sometimes called the religious right, but applies to things like the Mormon Church, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, uh, daily mass attenders in the Catholic Church. Once you get that, the Republican Party becomes something that it wasn't before, which is very firmly pro-life, and gradually pro-life people get pushed out of the Democratic Party. The parties become ideological rather than sectional, as they had been throughout most of our history. Once that happens, the Republicans are always telling you, we're going to do this and we're going to do that and vote for Republicans because we're pro-life. Meanwhile, Roe v. Wade and, you know, the humiliation ritual for conservative uh, appointees to judicial positions of, 
Are you going to, you know, are you going to take away a woman's right to, you know, stab her baby in the head when the baby's in the womb? You know, that that continues happening. That happens to everybody. And um, Republicans are not fighting against things that clearly contravene their own basis interests. Meanwhile, they are fighting for like to get more Indian tech workers. I mean, that's what they just did this week unanimously. You know, it's kind of like, who cares about that specifically, right? So what I do see is that- Did you just say qui bono? You did, you just say qui bono. I'm just gonna say that, keep going. Who benefits? Who actually benefits from the Republican party? And, and that is, I mean, it's not been the pro-lifers until Trump. And that's what kind of, right. like I'm going to yeah. turn down here, but that's, Trump, that's why Trump, I'm a Trump no. guy. I don't even like the guy, really. And I, I you know, right. I follow his son on Twitter, and today he posted a picture of Trump Tower. What an ostentatious, ah! But, but you know what? It's a beautiful piece of work. Some architect built that. There were tons of jobs that were made in New York to make that happen. So that's the way cities work. But the yeah. fact is, ACB is the second pro-life justice he appointed. The second. Yeah. So, and, and, and so, ah. You just yeah. got to recognize it for what it is. Yeah, go. And he, and he, I mean, with ACB, he played hardball. He's willing to play hardball to achieve things that are tangibly better for things like unborn babies than pretty much any other Republican president, which is why, you know, I mean, I think one of the, one of the big things that you've seen over the past four years, and you're going to continue to see regardless of who's inaugurated in 2021, is a realignment politically on the right in the United States uh, concerning who actually will get things done and what do they have to say to be elected? Because the idea that like, you know, so populism um, though, right? It's going to be called populism populism. because, because like in the Georgia runoff, Kelly Leffler, one of the two Republican people running, you know, makes a Twitter video, not about immigration or pro-life stuff or any, any of the stuff that gets people excited to go to a Trump rally, which is, Think about how unique and strange those things are yeah. as political phenomena. Yeah, for sure. She makes a video about the reason you need to reelect me is so that we have the right policy about Israel. Like who in Georgia is, you know, it's like it doesn't that doesn't matter. So the Republicans will say all kinds of kind of odd things. Meanwhile, not accomplishing a whole lot for their own base when they are in office. Right. So I don't expect them collectively to like revolt on January 6th if they don't think the process is being done the right way. Would it help to compare this with, uh, say, what you know about the MPs in in, uh, in London and English law and the distance between them and the people that they are ruling? And there it's a little more historically acknowledged than here, but it seems yeah. that we're drifting into the exact same scenario. I mean, again, this is brief history of power stuff, but um, you know, can you can you tie that up together and maybe okay. leave us with a bit of Davis for fun uh, as as we go out of the hour? We got five minutes left here. <laughs> I think. Well, I, in the case of the UK, the shift has been towards something more like our system with uh, a clearly legally documented and outlined constitution. They're they're approaching something more like that. And recognizing that their class system was detrimental to the interests of normal people throughout most of their parliamentary history. Hmm. And so they're moving in kind of an opposite direction from us, even though the political dynamic of city versus all the rest, or in their case, like their flourishing city, London, versus even their other cities, Hmm. um, which especially in the north of England vote very much pro-Brexit, 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and have flipped from being reliably labor to being reliably conservative. Which is of, why Bojo is there. Right. Yeah. Right, Even though right. I disagree with the guy on COVID and he's acting like a Democratic governor in America, he he's right. there as a populist win. Uh, the guy in India is a populist win. Um, yeah. You know, you see this yeah. in a lot of different places. A lot of places. Yeah. yeah. We have a populist president. We don't have a populist party of any kind. Hmm. So partly because we have a winner take all system in a, electorally and that's undisputed. Uh, we don't have an analogy to like the Brexit party or UKIP, or any of the things that can arise within a parliamentary system rather than our, our, the way that our republic functions. Yeah, you don't have to make alliances really as much yeah, in ours. Right. You have to bow to the to the union. Right. I mean, right? right? I mean, right. so how, how did that happen then? That the system that was built to help the common man is further yeah. from, in theory, the one that was still, still got the queen at the top, although I got real curiosities there. Yeah, I think a big part of our problem is how inaccessible most of our representatives are um, because they represent so many people, you know, Um, and also because the way that the system is set up was not designed. uh, Our our system was designed for a much geographically smaller place with a lot less federal business, which would keep sort of like some of your state legislators probably are, which would keep your federal representatives much closer to you. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of impossible. And especially House members constantly have to be campaigning because they're always like going to be running in less than two years again. Right. Just just to hold on to where they are. If you double the size of the house, they could campaign just by walking their neighborhood, you know, and then. Yeah. I mean, that would be a thing. You got you're never going to get anything done in a a body that big. And that's the issue then with the Senate. The body that big is already awful large for real dynamic change if you want it to be positive and quick. And and yet you you can't expand it. And how can those who are representing even begin to represent? Uh, They they don't even try, though. That's uh, yeah, that's the reality. You got three more minutes and I want to give time to you as much as I can today. So so with the Senate, I mean, they were intended to represent their states and to be chosen by their state legislatures. Oh, yeah, that's a huge change. That's an amendment. Right. And yeah. Yeah. And that amendment, um, which I believe is the 17th off the top of my head, that that amendment fundamentally changes what the Senate is. And so what you can gradually see throughout American history, and I think this would be the basis of any political program, whether it's inside or outside the Republican Party going forward, would be what in a British context is called devolution, which is taking any possible powers that could be done better or more coherently or more representatively at a local level in the case of Britain, like in Wales or in Scotland rather than in London and moving those back to regional places. So for us, that would be states or even counties rather than letting the federal government do everything and hope that somewhere in the federal government, somebody knows me and cares about me. Golly, right. You got to have that, that network. Right. Getting on your local library board is the way to change two generations down the road. If you want to do it, (laughs) it really is. And they're already working right now to make them all, you know, transsexual. So you got to get involved if you want that not to be what's at your local library. Yeah. If you don't want drag queen story hour. So Dr. Adam Kuntz, uh, you cannot find him on Twitter. Uh, I've been asked, I've been asked and asked. So maybe he'll get on Twitter eventually, but you can find him on a brief history of power as well as word fitly spoken. You'll find both of those in iTunes or wherever else you can find podcasts. If you want to ask him a question, 
Uh, if you want to ask him a question, you can get on the Mad Christian Discord, the Brief History of Power fan base there. Uh, he will chime in and answer things from time to time. And yep. uh, thank you, Dr. Koontz. It's great hey, to have you. Thanks a lot. And we'll be nice back in touch soon. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Have a good and day. I'm going to take a little break here. Hopefully, John Bombaro will be here by the time I get back. If not, we'll just wait till he calls. This is the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. I almost said radio hour. Man, that's the old way. Um, but maybe the old ways are worth returning to at some point. We'll be right back. Hey, Internet. My name is Jonathan Fisk. This is the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. I am here to rescue you because you've fallen under the influence. It is time to wake up. He has risen. You are paid for. You are immortal now. He will not be long. Anyway, so you might as well pay attention to what's going on. Stop deceiving yourself. Your daily bread is more than you think it is, and there's a lot of good stuff for you to do while the world burns. Uh, a lot of people to help. Um, I think I'm going to do this. Dr. Bombaro should be joining us shortly. Oh, can I reach it? I'm trying to get this cord all the way over here. Um, should be joining us shortly. If not, we'll go on into something else. But uh, I, I had a riddle come across my Bible this week. It says this, which is, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. So then what profit has a wealthy man? That's the question. That's the riddle. When you get more stuff, you get more hangers on. So what good is more stuff? That's the riddle. That's Ecclesiastes. Oh, did I write it down? Didn't write it down. It's Ecclesiastes. Jesus answers the riddle. It's so awesome. I love it. Because you get to this and you're like, man, yeah, that sucks. Stuff is sad. Stuff's no good. Why do I want stuff? I should have nothing. No, that's not the answer to the riddle. You ascetic? Is that a bad word? Are you allowed to say that on YouTube? I don't know. <laughs> What's the answer? I'll say it one more time though. Uh, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. The more stuff you have, the more hangers on there are. So what good have the wealthy? What what good is it to have more stuff except to see people use it? Oh, but then isn't that exactly what Jesus said? Blessed is more blessed to give. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. What good is it to have things if all the good it does is you have to share it? A little perspective change makes a big difference, don't it? All right, so I am concerned for my friend, John, uh, Pastor Bombaro, uh, and I'm hoping he doesn't want me to call him, and that is what worries me. So I'm actually going to do that right now. I'm going to call, my guess is uh, that he's uh, not at his computer yet, but I'm going to try anyway, so it's ringing, and in the meantime, I'm going to try to keep your attention in some way, because I know, I know how hard it is to pay attention at a time like this. How's this one? Um, yeah, so we're going to go without for the moment and try on Ecclesiastes 9.12. A man does not know his time like a fish, the cruelty of the net, like a bird, the snap of the snare. So are the sons of men in sudden ruin when their evil time comes upon them. It's in the Bible. You should read the Bible. It's true. stuff. We're going to talk about Oh, wrong one, wrong one, wrong one, coming back right here. Can we get there? Boom, almost, and there. My book, Talk to Me to One of you in the comments earlier today said something very kind about this resource. I'm going to come up here and pull you out. Uh, let's see here. Ryan said this uh, about Talk to Me to It. He said, Fist Insight are giving me a way and language to connect more deeply with such folks as who? Uh, he says, I'm in a very liberal area, but finding multicultural connection with people who are not even Christian around family values and against the centralization of power and corruption, that 
is the benefit in his life from reading my book, Talk Them Into It, which you can get for free by signing up for Mad Mondays. Also free, a news magazine that comes to your email box every week with good stuff from me and a whole bunch of others, data mining the internet, so you can be aware of what's going on in your world. Did you like the conversation with Dr. Koontz? It's that kind of reality that we're trying to help people see and live in, because frankly, it's a lot more free. It's a lot more relaxing than the narrative of the white noise. In any case, talk them into it. It's about how you and your neighbor can better embrace the free conscience, quiet living of a Christian life by well, talking about it. And, and it begins with you caring a little bit about the whole thing, enough to read a book about talking to your friends and neighbors about Jesus. Again, it's free if you sign up for Mad Mondays. You can find that newsletter link below, I believe, or at redfist.com. Click on newsletter. Very easy there. While you're there, would you mind going to Patreon? Since I'm giving you the book for free, would you mind going to Patreon and becoming a patron of me? You can patronize me as much as you want if you want to patronize me in like back corners of, of like Facebook because of something I said on Twitter. Oh, oh, inside jokes don't really work though. But, but the point is, like, if you want to patronize me, then patronize me. Yeah, however it means to you. But the way to help at this day and age with the kind of noise we're up against, is to not go against your brothers, but to work with your brothers against the darkness and evil of the liar and those whose consciences have been seared by worship of their bellies. I'm not naming names. I don't, I don't want to name names. It's not our job. Our job is merely, our job is merely to, with gentleness and honesty, so far as we understand it to be, and with all that is in us, the conviction of a comforter and a sail sorger, to make known the truth the age that we're talking to. And again, recognize in our day and age, since we're talking to everybody, some people are not going to understand. That's part of what you got to realize when you get into a conversation with your friend or your neighbor about reality. Before you start talking about Jesus and, hey, come to my church, you got to talk about, like Ryan was saying, like, what's going on in your community that matters? Do you have a family? Do you feel safe? Do you care about these things? The question I asked my congregation re recently is like, do you like that we have like gambling, little gambling casino bars on every corner? I get the bar in every corner. I don't get the casino on every corner. I really don't. I don't see how that helps society at all. The bar isn't exactly great, but I mean, it's, it's kind of an, always been a necessary evil gambling corners. I mean, in any case, it doesn't say much about us, does it now? Not, not well. If we want to change people's minds, though, we have to be able to get into conversations with them. And the book is about that in general. And then turning that conversation when you're ready for it to the proclamation of Jesus. And this section right here is really going to get right at that. Okay, so. We're on page 26 of Talk Them Into It. Again, you can get it free. Sign up for Mad Mondays. Uh, diplomacy is diplomatics with authorization. That is, you're going to go and try to talk to somebody, not because you decided to, but because you've been told by your Lord and Master of whom you are a slave to do so. You go, therefore, with joy, because your slave is a king who is great and good and only gives you green pastures and fresh waters. You might not understand how to receive them in this present fallen state, but that doesn't mean they're not what they are. And so you've been authorized to extend this diplomacy to everybody else. Christianity is and always has been aggressively pacifistic as a religion when it comes to the divine commissioning to fill the earth and subdue it by doing nothing more than repeating Jesus' words and rituals to each other. I mentioned pacifism earlier as not a Christian position, and that is to say that one does not have to become a permanent individual pacifist as a Christian. One may be a soldier. One may be a police officer. That conversation goes a lot further, especially in a country that rights you the ability to bear arms and defend your country, right? So pacifism is not part of submitting to Caesar when Caesar says, come and fight for Caesar, right? And you're in fact a good citizen. But when it comes to converting people to Christianity, we are pacifist. 
We do not believe a conversion by force, even force of words, even anger and, and frustration. That's why mission efforts that get about your zeal are bad. Like you're going to try to make them convert, and it's not your task. Christianity hasn't always been an aggressively pacifistic religion when it comes to the divine commission to fill the earth and subdue it by doing nothing more than repeating Jesus' words and rituals to each other. We trust the effect of the Son of God's words. We believe that he rose from the dead and what he said is enough. Even if I don't get it, even if I don't feel it, God will later yet reveal this to me too. Paul says that. Conversion then is not a strategy, but the mission. And I would suggest a different book altogether would take this one, but that the word mission has not meant conversion for far too long. We use the word mission to mean all sorts of stuff that don't mean conversion. (laughs) And conversion is not a strategy. Conversion is the mission. Christianity exists to talk people into more Christianity. That's why we're here. If you're living for yourself, you you, you forgot why you're here. And that's the danger. And if you're living for yourself and bothered by the world because the world's going crazy, well, then you need to come back to the font from which you can stand. Conversion is the mission. It is also exclusively the prerogative of God to enact. God must save you. You do not get to save you. Let your free will arguments just sit by the side for a moment. You're not a robot. But you don't get to tell God what to do. And he's not so weak that he can't pull you out of the mud. You're a dead person. He's raising from the dead. He's doing it by saying he has risen. You believe it. Give him the glory, not yourself in your free choice decision. That's nonsense. And then realize now every day you've got to make a decision to follow Jesus by means of the Holy Spirit that does rest within you according to the word of God. And if you give up on that, because you've decided that since you're a Christian, you don't have to exercise your will, well, then you're not going to be a Christian for very long. Because you're going to be run over by the lies of the devil, the deceits, the machinations of men, and their scheming devices. Do you read the Bible ever? No, we don't. That's our problem. So many printed, so few picked up. Oh, but I've got it on digital. Yeah, do you look at it? No, it doesn't flash the same way the other stuff does. I know, it's just like it's a drug. This screen... It is God's prerogative to wake you up. Now, I'm talking to you right now because the Proverbs told me this morning, which number was that? I can't even pull it up fast enough. Is it in 20, 2820 or 2828-23 that a wise man is grateful for a rebuke? A wise man is grateful for a rebuke. We need a good rebuke, all of us. Be grateful for it when it comes. A holy man of blessing is being poured out upon mankind. That's a fact. That's unchangeable. No matter how you feel, no matter where you are, Jesus Christ is risen. A holy man of blessing is being poured out upon mankind. Man himself, a male, born of woman, has been taken into Godhead. All bets are off. Who cares how you feel today? Do you see the dawn which is coming? Can you see then maybe how the pain you feel today is the gift which makes you see that which will come, without which you would drown in the darkness? A darkness of having everything you want the way you want it and being increasingly discontent with it. The Bible's full of this. This is just the Bible, and it is centrally around the gospel, the good news that Jesus alone is the Savior, the holy man of blessing, he, the bread from heaven, He, the seed planted in the ground that shoots again to bring forth a hundredfold in its fruit. The strategy of Jesus has never been sales. I could say that's none of my business, but it's my business. And the business we've been taught and been buying for years has been sales. The strategy of Jesus in the Bible is not sales. It is a salt. It is a tack. 
It is violently offensive. Not with violence. With pacifistic love a lot of the time. With turning the other cheek, but refusing to stop the tongue when the tongue must tell the truth. It is a very different setup, a very different mindset. The East has been doing it for a long time. I think Rome still does it. They can afford to in one way. They're playing a different game, though. you got to be careful with them. I mean, not, not the Roman Catholics, just the, the elite. Um, be careful, young boys, particularly. I mean, really. Um, really, really. I, I'm not... Why do I feel like I shouldn't be saying that? Everyone, it's in our confessions. Go read it. Written in 1580. Before that even, right? It's, it's a long time it's been going on. Goodness. The assault that Christianity brings is not physical but verbal. When the Bible talks about your soul in the Old Testament particularly, although it does have application in the New Testament too, but the word nephesh in the Old Testament, it is a word that means both breath and wind and spirit and soul and all of the above built into your life. It takes that, that idea that, that life is breathed into you and that by the breathing of your being, that is what this body and psychology, whatever, psyche, <laughs> psychology, I don't even know. We've, in a material world, we've denied it. Soul doesn't mean anything anymore. Your body and the spirit which inhabits your body. That reality. I just had a notification completely throw me off. Hello. Uh, that reality is an assault of the verbal God. Right? So he's coming into you to make it so that your breathing body that once was, was silenced from his name is attacked by his name in such a way that wakes you to life and makes you see who he is in terror and in mercy need and mercy received. And by this then becomes its own assault out of you that your mouth, your breath is what is redeemed. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He has redeemed my soul, my breath, my mouth. So the strategy is not sales, but assault. The assault is not physical, but verbal. And the verbs are neither demanding nor abusive. The arsenal is a radical piece of good news. I've said it a bunch this morning already. He is risen. It's weird how hard that is to say with conviction. You have to like work yourself up to it. You'll jump into a conversation with a quotation from, say, Monty Python, perhaps, or something more recent and hip. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Whatever is the de jour of quotation hip, hipsterness, beat, beat, nick, nick, at, at the moment. Can you throw in a Bible verse? Can you stop and pray? Do you say he has risen? Ever. To yourself, at least. Our mouths are the vessels by which God is enacting this great salvation among us. He has risen. The diplomat's power and purpose is his office. We'll look at that next week. The office of being a child, a son of God, heir, oh, what am I looking for here? Heir to the apostles' message. Message. The message that never ceases to be true. The message that will go on forever. The millennium that is not for millennials alone, but for all. All who have hoped in the Redeemer, who was to come, who has come, who is coming again. His name is Jesus. Yeah. So I made you one promise this morning, and it looks like it's just not going to happen, but uh, so be it. Uh, what we're going to try to do here is uh, recover 
and figure out what to do next with the time. So I'm going to take one more break, although I won't take the full one. I'll be back before this one is entirely over, and I'll even zoom you to the middle so you can get the, uh, the better music in the middle of this one. We'll be right back. And into the grab bag we go. These are your questions and, Lord willing, his answers. Also some just common sense wisdom from me. You can always reach us at riffhist.com slash contact. Send it in there. And also, if you have not joined the Mad Christian Discord, there is a whole group of people there willing to support your understanding of a variety of things with regards to the Christian walk that you have, especially things like how to tune out the white noise, how to be in the white noise and not be destroyed by it, uh, and, and again, how to find a place where you can just ask a question or even build a project together to help the good of Christianity in the world over. There's a number of those going on. You have to go to the Mad Christian Discord to check that out. Uh, for now, what we want to do is jump into your questions and some answers. Brian writes this. Let's see if I can make this a little bigger here for my old eyes. Pastor Fisk, I have a question about dating. Mm-mm-mm. Hold on, I'm trying to move this on my screen and it won't let me. <laughs> Come back. All right, let's we'll leave it the way it is. I have a question about dating. Where I live, there really aren't a lot of confessional Lutherans, and my church is pretty small, so not a lot of whole, not a whole lot of options. There are a lot more low church Lutherans that have a lot of evangelical influences to the point that those churches are mostly evangelical with some Lutheranism sprinkled in. So I'm kind of aware of dating someone from one of those. I think I go to the only confessional Lutheran church in my area. I'm kind of getting to the point that I think I should be married by now, but for some reason I'm not. I'm in my thirties. It's, it, it's not for some reason. It's been done to you and to us by a generation or two before ours. And it is what it is. Uh, I'll, I'll say more, but, um, some reason is putting it lightly. I'll say it that way. There's lots of reasons and many bad ideas that have just been enacted by a group over time. And we're all part of that group. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. Do I have any recommendations for someone like you who seems to not have a lot of options around confessional Lutherans my age? I have talked to a couple of my pastors about this and those conversations have been helpful. Online dating has been suggested to me, but it doesn't seem to have worked well for me so far. Do you have any other suggestions of how I might go about this? Um, yeah. My suggestion is that... <laughs> You get the free copy of my book and you read it and you start dating evangelical women and you use it as your dating manual. I really mean this. It'll work slowly. Maybe it'll take you 10 years. I don't know, but you'll find the right one. She'll show up eventually. Pray about it. Don't try to date Lutherans. What are you doing? It's like the one chance you have to have an excuse for mission work. You can go talk to the prettiest girls you can see anywhere about your church. <laughs> Imagine how crazy you would come off. But then the second, the third, the fourth time, you'd kind of get a feel for it. You'd, you'd have practiced. You'd kind of know what not to do first. I'm not saying go to a bar. You can't go to a library these days, not in Illinois. You can't go to a coffee shop. So that's a rough one right there. But give it a year or three or seven, and we should be past this complete nonsense. And into something, again, where you can, you can gather with other humans without having to be like, we're all going to kill each other if we talk or smell each other, you know. Um, you'll be back in that world again. It's most of the world, much of the world still has that going on. Africa, for sure, you know, Sweden. Um, uh, Indiana, I believe. <laughs> uh, Florida. Uh, Texas. Just not Illinois. Hey. Um, so, you know, dating... When it comes to being in public places, preferably not bars, at least not after like seven, um, but talking to people, go up to people who you find beautiful and just try to start a conversation. Now, I don't know that you should necessarily start the conversation about Jesus right away, but you can learn from the book how to talk to people about anything 
from talk to them anyway. You can talk about anything with people. I just think you should talk about Jesus eventually. But the idea that you're going to wait and find this prepared marriage partner that meets your, what, your specs. <laughs> I just say it's a bit much. It's a bit much given history. So let me start you off on this one. Men and women are different. We approach things differently. But men, you've been approaching Lutheran men, single Lutheran men. You've been approaching dating like a woman. You were kind of taught to, so it's not your fault. But the fact is that you should not be hmm, regressive. You should be assertive and forward and fearlessly so. And you're probably not. And you know it. And you don't like that. I, I, I say it because I'm your brother. <laughs> I, I, I'm like there. And then growing and saying no more. And the no more is simply recognizing there's a difference between aggression and assertion. And just because you're going to assert and someone says that's aggressive doesn't mean it actually is. Maybe the person saying that's aggressive is in fact being aggressive passively. So, and the only thing you should just do is be, be firm and assert right back. Now, again, having some of that chutzpah, gumption, grit, all these good words for it, having just a touch of that, well, it'll happen if you go up and talk to a few girls, regardless of who they are. I don't care what religion they are. Ask them about their religion. Find some beautiful girl with a burqa on. And go ask her about Islam. Don't get converted. Convert her. Why not? What are you waiting for? The, the mythical Cinderella story? That's Disney, not the Bible. You don't even realize how much you've believed, do you? And I'm not just talking to you, Brian. I'm talking to all of us and me in the mirror. We do not realize how much of the lie we have believed. And our marriages show it. Our children show it. Our society shows it. So my answer to you, my friend is not blowing in the wind. It's written in the Proverbs. And the Proverbs tell you, be a man and look for a good woman. And realize that if you find a good woman and you are a man of God, and she's a good woman, she's going to follow you. Straight up. And that's how you talk them into it. You talk them into it. You ask good questions about who they are, learn who they are until they want to know who you are. And maybe you part ways with the most beautiful girl you ever saw because beauty is fleeting. And yet a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Oh, that's in the Proverbs too. Brian, I've had to come to terms with something as a pastor recently. I've wondered why, even though I am the best preacher there is, after Brian Wolf knew it, of course, for all of my life as a preacher, I've never been able to just get that congregation to swell and grow to great godly numbers. Now, you can ask, is that even like a good idea? <laughs> and I can say, well, it seems to be what everyone said should happen from the top down the whole time I've been in training to be a pastor and since I became one. So it's hard to not hear that message because the white noise is powerful. Huh? You don't want to join it. You don't want to join it. The overwhelming need to feel that growth is contingent with maturity in the church is quite an oppressive and powerful thing. And it can make a pastor get pretty down on himself and wonder why the Lord would not give him more people to teach. Now, what I've come to the conclusion of this last year that's been good for me is to realize that perhaps it's because I wasn't paying attention to the ones he'd given me well enough yet. Now, I'm not saying I've got an if-then with God and a vow that he's going to pay me off in some way when I pay him off. I'm saying if your wife hasn't shown up yet, then you're probably not ready for her. And your thinking that she should show up sooner demonstrates how little you're ready for her. The moment that you really are not looking for her, she has a greater likelihood of being given to you by God. 
Because God does not give you gifts to destroy you. He doesn't want to give you an idol to tear you down. And if you make your wife an idol, she will. The Proverbs is really clear about that. So, every moment that you are single and waiting is a moment the Lord has blessed you with fortitude and foresight and the recognition that until you're married, you need to be becoming someone worth marrying. And that means reading more Bible than you'll ever have the time to read after you're married. I know, I'm, I'm cra- it's called the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Show. What do you want, normal stuff from me? I'm going to talk like someone who thinks the Bible is true. All right, so Kyle is going to jump in with us here. Oh, oh I, did, I did it backwards. I'm going to go like this. And says something like this. Uh, could you explain a bit about the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7? It is a description used of Jesus in Revelation and the book interesting uh, and the, yes and the book uh, being opened and sitting in judgment are all things Jesus does but in verse 13 you have the son of man appearing before the ancient of days yes that's what I was kind of erring on uh, are they really just the same person or what is going on in this chapter Kyle okay so we have uh, where did I put it we have the actual thing here it is you go away and you go here boom so here is some Daniel chapter 7, but then we also have the issue of Revelation, so we might have to jump over uh, and, hmm, can I find some Revelation here? Do-do-do, really fast. Do-do-do. Let's do, ancient of days. We'll, we'll go check on that in just a moment. So first, let's look at the Daniel text, and to be clear, I'm not an expert on this text. This is a text I want to spend more time on. Um, because it is so complicated and it is so fuzzy. There are so many potentials that come out of this that need to be sort of left in the realm of we think but we're not sure, so don't build on this one, that I'm not really comfortable saying more than what are the the, the simple basics that I really know, which is that this is Jesus' ascension. (laughs) Like, hands down. Daniel is, is giving a foretaste or a foresight of the ascension of the risen Jesus Christ to the, the throne of Godhead, literally going behind the veil that even the angels can't go behind and taking humanity with him. Creation going behind the creator's veil in the body of a man who is Jesus. And he's foreseeing this. Our, such, our religion is so cool. Anyway, um, as I looked, it says, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. Who is this? Um, in Daniel 7, this is, uh, well, you're, you're asking a good question. Who in the Old Testament is God? Is it the Father? Or is it the Son? Or is it the Spirit? And the answer is usually yes. At least when we're going to do with, say, a theophany, the showing up of God, say, as a pillar of fire and cloud, or as a burning bush. A theophany is just like Latin for the revelation of God or the face of God as he shows up. Uh, who is it when, when Jacob wrestles at the Jabbok River with a man? Who does Abraham have lunch with, right? There are three, but two end up being angels. So, like, what's going on there? What we know is this. The Father dwells in an approachable light. The Son, who is also God in substance, makes the Father known. He is the mediator of his presence. There is now one mediator even more clearly between God and man, that's Jesus. And that the Holy Spirit is a fully uh, personified person, member of the Trinity. I don't know what to say there. A full person of Godhead, who you never get to see, but who makes it his pleasure to inhabit you and cause you to praise Jesus. So that whenever you're praising Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in fact the one doing it. And he's joined you the similar way, but not the same. Like a son of, but not the actual, right? Uh, An extended member of Jesus. (laughs) Uh, And so Jesus' ascension into 
the eternal council of, of divine heavenly light and fire with a body purified so that he could hold creation together in himself and take it into eternity. What a thing! I mean, like, you can't even, you wonder why the church fathers just sat around pondering the incarnation. This is why. It's like, this is, this is unbelievable what's going to happen to us. You think YouTube's interesting. Cats that fly and stuff. I mean, how bored are we? Uh, thrones. Okay, so who is it though? So when you get to this text, you just have to let the language of names that at various times in the Old Testament may or may not refer to the entire triune council. They may refer to a person at one time who speaks for all, or they may only... No, yeah, that's it. Those two things. So you, you, you have that going on where Ancient of Days, in this case, very clearly is going to refer to the Father, even though the Father is not one that otherwise we are ever given the pleasure of seeing. Right? The Father is not visible. He dwells in an approachable light. You have to take all the verses together. And then see that this then is a manifestation or a theophany of the Father. A rare thing indeed is segregated from the Son, but to demonstrate the Son's return to him with the presence of the Son of Man, the manhood born from the grave, is now going to enter into eternity. And that's the picture that's going on here. Ah, it's so cool. So thrones are set in place and the Father takes his seat, I would say. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head white like wool. But see, all of this sounds like Jesus in the New Testament. Yes. Do you remember what was said to Jesus? Will you just show us the Father and then we'll believe? What did Jesus say back? This is from his own apostles the night he's betrayed. Tom, not Thomas. Uh, it might have been Thomas. I remember. Just show us the Philip. Just show us the Father and we will believe. What does he say? Have you been with me so long you don't know me? Does that mean Jesus is the Father? No, but it does mean he and the Father are one and that he is the one given to show you the Father. He is the incarnate face of the Father forever. Don't look for the Father somewhere else. But here, we can know that Jesus has approached the Father in his heavenly counsel that we are not able to attain. Certainly not without him. So as he goes, he sees this picture of the Father that's going to become the picture of Jesus as John sees him after he has ascended when he appears on the island of Patmos. He takes on the Father's eternal characteristics and takes on the Ancient of Days manifestation because he is one with him. Even though born of the flesh as a baby, like he didn't look like that, right? But it was there, veiled, humiliated even, I believe, is the way we would talk about that. Not in a bad way. Uh, but the way one might set down a sword for a fist fight with someone who you would kill too easily with a sword. Not, that would not be me, but that would be um, honor, right? So anyhow, you know, a river of fire is flowing. <laughs> That's awesome. Coming out from before him. It's a, it's a sea of glass, I believe, in the New Testament. It, things change with the resurrection. Uh, thousands upon thousands attended him, ten thousand times and thousands to perform in shining raiment bright. And the court was seated and the books were opened. I love it. And this comes back in Revelation 2, right? With the books and the book and the judgment according to the books of what you've done, but then the judgment according to the book of what Jesus has done for you. And if your name is not found in one, well, it don't matter what you did in the other one, but the other one's pretty much all bad anyway. That's awesome stuff, right? And that's all here being foreshadowed or foreseen even as it's foreseen by John, but with more clarity. Yeah. So verse 11 then, and then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. So this has to do with the world power at the time that is always the voice of the devil and what it looked like. And, uh, you know, Daniel's d disturbed by how bad it looks because when you see Babylon for all that it is, it is the devil's plaything. The world you live in right now is the devil's plaything. You just have scales over your eyes. Uh, I'll let you decide what those are for the moment. But if you don't think this world's the devil's plaything, you got to believe what this text says the boastful horn of the world power that in every age is both the hand of God's wrath against the former world power and the hand of the devil attempting to throw down God all that's going on in every age and Daniel's watching it 
he's bothered by it, and all the animals he sees in this vision that he's had that represent these various nations that will come to pass up until the one that just becomes the ongoing many-headed hydra of, say, Rome, which is also Babylon, which is also, why not hydra, right? Why not? Uh, it's, it's there doing what is done through Western Europe's history, whether it's via the papacy or via Hitler. It's the same hateful, destructive, oppressive, anti-human, definitely not pro-life and definitely not pro-resurrection of Jesus reality. That reality, he keeps watching. He kept looking on until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. So as, as everything is coming to pass, the great light bringer becomes tossed into a fire greater than he is. Oh, I love that part. Man. Uh, the other beasts have been stripped of their authority, but they were allowed to live for a period of time. Now, I'm going to say then what's going on right here. I can't highlight it for you. But that uh, the slaying of the beast and him being thrown into fire, this is his binding in chains with Jesus, right? So the blood of Jesus changes the way the devil could rule the nations. Uh, I'm just going to assert that's what the Bible says, right? Here it is. It's saying here. It says in other places too. Um, and the other beasts, though, they don't have the authority to deceive the nations anymore. Uh, the little season of, of Satan is, is simply about, excuse me, they don't have the authority to deceive Christians anymore. The little season of Satan is only about deceiving the nations, the pagans, right? But we can see through the scheme in a way that the Hebrews were unable to see. I think that's what this says. Um, and, uh, but me Meanwhile, we can expect the history to go on, right? So after the ascension, the history is going on for a period of time. Old Testament doesn't care much about your clock and your calendar. It just cares about God's generations, right? I said that at the start of the show, and it's, it's pretty key. Uh, verse 13, Daniel goes on, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Here's that ascension. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. So the physical body of Jesus ascending to the glories and the heights of the eternal reality and you in him via baptism, supper, word, spirit. It's so awesome. He was given authority, right? All authority heaven and earth given to me. Uh, glory, sovereign power, all nations, going to all nations, baptizing all nations and peoples of every language worshiped him, his dominion and everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Thy kingdom come, Lord Jesus, right? So now uh, with that, let's jump, let's go here and here. And see, we got some other Ancient of Days. I just, I just do Ancient of Days. They gave me a couple other ones here. Uh, looking at the Daniel 7 text, Daniel 13. So Daniel 7.22 also has it. Um, and yeah, it doesn't show up in, in Revelation. So 7.22. Uh, da, 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 da. That's the same one we were just looking at? No. All right, so it was the other one then. Now I'm, now I'm confusing myself and you. No, not just not just you. Just me. There we go. 7.13. Okay, so we got... Okay, ancient of Days here. It's all in this text. So I the question confused me because... And that's, if you remember, um, I like kind of paused and was like, I'm not sure that, that, that Ancient of Days shows up in Revelation quite the same way. You see the description of the one seated on the throne. Right? And this is after you see the description of Jesus as the Ancient of Days fulfilled. Right, He's come back and now he looks like him. Right, um, And then you have him on the throne and now you've got the lamb before the throne. And there's this merger going on. The blood of the lamb who's pierced and never dies uh, standing in the place of the Ancient Days. And really, by the end of the book, he's sitting on the throne in Jerusalem and you're worshiping him and there's no son, just him. Right, So all of this is moving us with types, archetypes, imagery that is real from our history toward a reality in the future we can only ask or imagine uh, in, in part. Right, uh, Because it's just, it's just going to be be beyond what we can 
we can say now. And I don't know if I got to all of your question entirely, but I certainly dug through that text pretty well, I think. Uh, so we're going to move on now to Eli, who has a question about something different altogether. Eli says this, thank you for addressing my question regarding cannabis. Oh yeah, Eli, I remember, I forgot about this one. Um, cannabis and psilocybin therapy. So right, so the talk about what is medicine needs to be a very long and hard talk. Uh, the talk about what things are banned for what reasons and in what portions, if you've never even studied them, especially when they can help people with say post-military PTSD, come to terms with living a normal life again once they're back. Uh, and it can be done under uh, you know doctors, care. Um, although I trust doctors less and less these days, but you know, this was a thing that back when I trusted doctors more and more, uh, seemed like not a bad idea. So, you know, again, we talked about this a bit last week. The question is, you know, drunkenness is forbidden for good reason. Drunkenness is to be intoxicated until you can no longer see straight, right? As opposed to say, um, uh, sobriety, which is to become more clear, to be able to see straighter than those who are around you. And remember, unbelief is the true drunkenness described in Scripture. And the reason Christians should not spend their time in drunkenness is because it is a reflection of the real drunkenness that is unbelief. Uh, uh, and uh, reflection being a bad one, right? So, all right, on a different note, Eli goes on. I, I have always wanted to enter the ministry. As a child, I went to a youth outreach program hosted at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. I have researched every free seminary course on iPhone podcasts. I started my scholastic following eight years ago and have followed Christian Doctrine Systems 1 and to principles for biblical interpretation, elementary Greek fun. Good for you, man. Uh, the Lord has put a few changes in my life early on, which have prevented me from attending college and pursuing an MDiv. Two questions. Does my profession disqualify me from seeking the pastoral office in the future? In the LCMS, Probably. Uh, and right now, I mean, we haven't ever talked about this, and I don't think anyone's going to listen right now. There's too much other crazy going on, and you're just going to come off as a fire, basically. It's a problem to solve that can't be solved easily. Um, so the the traditional route, I would say it is unlikely. I'm not saying don't try it. You never know. I mean, talk that your pastor needs to know, right? Um, and then his circuit, I mean, they need to hear about You need to be in discussions about this. If the accusation is this is drunkenness, you need to be able to defend that with science, which I, I'm sure you can, in fact. Um, and you, know, you can go and, Eli doesn't need to, but the rest of you, go go Google Rogan stuff on this. He's gotten scientists together to argue and debate it. And it, it is interesting when the scientists come in to debate against pot and are unprepared for the scientists who come in prepared to debate for it and get blown away. I'd like to see someone who's prepared. Joe Rogan argued against the guy that was unprepared the time I watched. But it was still very fascinating to watch. Like This is the research. This is the debate. This is what's going on. And for, for LCMS pastors to say, oh, no, no, we already know. I think that's really kind of uh, futile and arrogant. And this goes with all of the substances that were put in our bodies that the government has given us in the last last generation as well. There's a few other created things that they're putting in us and maybe some more just uh, coming down the pike, if you, if you recall. So in terms of this one, though, I remember very clearly uh, being asked questions at the seminary about this particular substance. And yeah, no, you're not allowed. You're not allowed. So it's a rule. Um, you, you can get drunk at, uh, at a party uh, on the seminary's dime. But this one, no. And see, this is where I'm like, is there something, is there something hypocritical about us when we, when we taboo one thing and overuse another thing? Hmm? That's the question that we should ask. And, and again, when our mouths are, are cynical, when the most I hear from Lutherans is how sad it is that there aren't more Lutherans. Right? We, just, we just kind of gripe about it. Pot's not the answer to that. The answer to that, though, is uh, to realize your mythology is filled with a bunch of taboos and to go back to the Bible and figure out what the Bible really says. Now, you're going to be stuck with, go talk to your pastor. Talk to your pastor, because the only way you go through our system is by talking to your pastor. And then it's up to him to advocate for you. 
and advocate this issue be one that's talked about, which is why I, I let the question come on. I think we don't do our, ourselves any good by sweeping this kind of stuff under the table when it's going on around us. The same goes, I mentioned gambling earlier today. Gambling's going to ruin my community more than it already is, uh, Illinois, <laughs> the whole state. You know, it never helps anybody. Uh, I, I'm not against playing poker with your friends. It's fine. I don't care. But when the government's making money on it, <laughs> it's not good for us. It's not good for us. That's how they make slaves. That's how they keep you a slave. Um, so, okay. Here's the thing, though. So LCMS, the answer is probably not easily. Talk to your pastor. I don't know what the special ministry pastoral formation program might offer you. Although I recommend it to everybody, as much as I like some of the good things that happen at at least one of our seminaries, I'm sure there are good things at both. I just don't listen that carefully anymore. So I don't know what's going on anymore. Um, As much as that's true, that model and place and direction, including the debt you will take on to become a pastor, at this time in history, I would counsel you against. I would counsel you against investing that kind of debt right now unless you don't have a family to pay for. It's kind of a different matter then. You want to go into the zeitgeist heaving your martyr's breath? Fine. Take the regular route through seminary and be forged in the fires. You, you go ahead if you're ready and raring for that one. But if you're wanting to be someone who cares about your neighborhood, puts down some roots, and is available for the church should you be needed to sales sort, to care for people, the specific ministry pastor program is there. It's there to help you keep your job. It's there to help you get ordained. It's there to help you be theologically sound enough to care for those people that need your care and have called you to do so in that area, whether or not they're paying you. And that's kind of the key piece there too. You probably don't want to get paid, at least not to start. Shows your good intentions, right? So just think about that as you talk with your local pastor about that reality. I've made it very clear uh, in previous shows that I, I don't see any reason why conservative Bible-believing Lutherans in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, aren't taking this route. Aside from that, we really want to save our seminaries because they are crown jewels of a previous era, clearly. The library bar none at both of them is worth the price of the land at least, <laughs> you know, uh, and, but the question is, can we keep it? And I, I'm not in that position right now, um, but do you need to throw your body on the pyre or do you need to establish yourself so that you can be a faithful Christian confessor? And then if the Lord wills it, sent one where you are, I'd say, I say, talk with your pastor first about that and then recognize what a hurdle you have in regard to this and that the SMP program is your key because what you can say is this, there's Christians who smoke pot and are afraid to come to church because they'll be judged. I'm going to try to reach them and help them find church where they can be cared for. And I think there's people who smoke pot and would believe in Jesus. Of course, they're going to have really funny conversations when they smoke pot, but they don't, oh, well, maybe they do. I don't know. Maybe they're kind of normal sometimes. You can have a conversation with them and their mind is open to all sorts of religions and they've never really heard this bit about he has risen, you are paid for. Maybe that's the case, right? SMP would be your, you're, you're basically saying there's a special need in this area where I am. And if I leave here, then I will not be able to minister to this need. Now you have got the definition of that, Eli the absolute definition of that at this time, but it requires a conversation that our sinner needs to have. And you actually have the path to catalyze that conversation and force it on them. <laughs> so there you go. There's my advice. Uh, I am a troublemaker in Israel. There is no question about that in my mind after that answer. Goodness gracious. So here we go talking about assurance a little bit, right? Uh, Chad says this, I blame you for my conversion to Lutheranism. <laughs> I love following up what I just did with that comment. That's great. Uh, just take the ism off, like Wolf Mueller says, right? I, you, I converted you to the Augsburg Confession as understood by the evangelicals and the confessionalists of old. 
that today is this thing, this brand we call Lutheranism, that um, thank God it has stewarded some golden resources for us, but if we don't grab them tight now, hold them, use them, believe them, the things which stewarded them are going to become more important to us if they haven't already. Uh, I, so blame me for my your conversion. Blame Jesus for your conversion to anything that's true. And uh, <laughs> um, uh, not confirmed, but study and belief. And my subsequent del- uh, disillusionment from my rosy world of Western evangelicalism. I know it's it's sad and it? it's like zombies. Uh, it really, uh, uh, Stepford a little bit. And it's strange amalgamation of purpose driven, best life now decision. If it ain't working, you ain't doing it right. Seeker friendly, blah blah, phony baloney. I like that one. That that could be rap right there. Uh, hold on, see if I can do it. From the rosy world of Western evangelical and strange amalgamation. No, it nah, didn't, didn't quite work. Amalgamation of purpose-driven, best life now decision. If it ain't working, you ain't doing it right. Seeker friendly, blah, blah, phony, baloney. Almost. You can almost do it. Uh, I'm amazed that even with the scripture right in front of me that I couldn't see its truths, even with 1 Peter 3.21, you know, staring you in the face, right? I've been in that conversation with enough people and you're, you just, you just, will not compute, will not compute, will not compute. Go to a different verse. <laughs> I love y'all, but, uh, oh man, yeah. Uh, the treatise on baptism in Romans is pretty stellar, right? Baptism was only a sign of an inward event for where you came from, uh, which is why I was baptized twice, because I was never able to live up to the so-called inward commitment. Yeah, you can't. Uh, you cannot be Jesus. Uh, and in my own, except for when he makes you for free all the time because he declares it, there's just a different way of looking at it. Uh, and in my own ability to call, you know, uh, bat poo myself, I was tormented and condemned in my, by my failure to live up to a commitment to God, which is a very heavy burden. Yeah, that's right. Vows are awful. Don't make vows to God. Proverbs says that. I just read it this morning. I think it's in, uh, it might have been yesterday, 27, 28, one of those two chapters. Like, don't, it's like better not to make a vow. Don't make a vow. If you make a vow, pay it. <laughs> if you make a vow, pay it. If not, don't make it. And he's talking about God at that point. And that's Solomon, and I think he's a wise guy, right? So the idea that you're going to make this inner commitment to God that is your Christianity is death. That is the fall. Don't buy that. It's a lie. It's the devil's lie. That's, that's the very thing that the friends of Job tell him. Don't read the whole book. Go read the first three arguments they bring. Every single one of them. Just, just read what they say and figure out what each one of them is like. Well, if you'd done it better, it would have worked out. Tut, tut. Nah. That's the lie. That's the lie. Don't believe that. The fact is, God is committed to you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then along with him will they not also, will he not also, graciously give us all things? So the commitment is God's to you. Now, born again into that commitment, born of water and the Spirit, born by the breath of life that makes you believe this reality and speak it again, you do have some discipline to attend to. You have a choice to make every morning. You can confess the creed or you can whine your way into how weak you are and how hard it is because it's not entertaining enough. You can pray the Lord's Prayer or you cannot because you're going to, I don't know, you're busy. That's true. And if you don't eat, you will starve. But that's not about your commitment to God. That's about God's commitment to you. What are you supposed to eat in the morning when you confess the creed? Is that I'm confessing the creed so that I can be a Christian? No, I'm hearing what God has said to me this morning so that he can remind me I'm a Christian. And the spirit of God within me is the one enacting this. And if that that flame is so faintly glimmering that you can't even crawl to a psalm in the morning and that don't put the fear of God in you, nothing will. I had a thought, I had a story that came through my head just this morning. How, how does it, how did MathNet say it? The stories are made up, but the problems are real. <laughs> MathNet, a thing my children will never know. MathNet was the, the pinnacle of television. Oh, man. 
I know a man, that is not me, whose life was stolen by the television. Stolen. Entirely stolen. His father's before him. All that he loved, all that he pursued. Eventually those things were driven away. He was frustrated and angry. He was lonely and confused. He didn't like the world, and so he continued to fight the world until the world didn't come near very often. I've seen this story more than once, and I've seen the blue light that comforts, but doesn't. Tread carefully. Tread carefully where you decide to choose to learn and listen and be now that you have found the golden nectar that is the Lutheran Confessions. Be careful who you listen to that says, I'm a Lutheran and so you should listen to me, because it's a brand just like any other. And what matters is not the brand, but what the confessions say. Because they're what Jesus said, because of what the Bible prophesied, he would say. And then recorded him having said. Hold on to that reality. Seek that and let the brands fall away as the fragmenting of this age of cheap stuff continues to become a, a trash bin. And what comes next? I don't know. But I know your baptism will stand and make you whole. I know that it is a helmet of salvation upon you a glistening and glorious light that the flaming arrows of the devil cannot pierce, which is why even if you are barely able to get yourself to read a psalm in the morning, you're still listening to me. You're hungry. You're starving. You're starving. And you don't have to wait for me. You don't even need me. I'm here to drag you out of this and into the place where you'll really get fed, which is the actual authentic scriptures, and then combining that with good Christian thinkers who understand by common sense the times in which you live and can encourage you toward a labor-led life that is one in which you are able to work with your hands even if you don't do it to make money and one in which you prepare your children to have such a life as well, to be married, to have more children, to be married, to have more children, to keep the Bible on the mantle, to tell the stories of the Bible in the home. To look with ardor for the day of Jesus reproaching, uh, approaching. Both. Don't make a commitment to God about anything. But don't miss it. Your baptism is his commitment to you. So your narrow question. Do I put my faith in the fact that the words of Jesus were spoken when you were baptized? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say it differently, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't take no as an answer from that. The answer is yes, you, you're baptized. Which one? The first one, I think. Uh, you know, you're wet. The name of Father, Son, and Spirit were spoken over you. It was not intentionally destroyed by some sort of heresy immediately thereafter. Like, I baptize you in the name of the Father who is not God and the Son who manifests God. Like, if they say that, it doesn't count, right? Um, you know, the Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifier... Uh, well, it didn't really work either. Um, and you got to ask. You got to ask Methodists, by the way. You don't know the name you're baptized into if you're in United Methodist Church baptism. So just ask. Um, but if you got the name of Jesus on you with water in the word, there's not much we can do besides say, dude, believe it. But it didn't feel right. I did it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, right. We all do it for the wrong reasons. You know how many people bring their ba- babies to baptize, to have them baptized for the right reason? Like they're right and they're wrong at the same time. They think that they're going to save the child. Like actually. And if they don't get the child baptized, that the child won't be saved. Like somehow they're carrying the burden of, of actual physical savior. 
when the fact is God can kill the child before or after the baptism in order to do whatever he wants to do. Why are you afraid? And yet there are those who don't even bring the child to baptism. They care so little about it. They don't see the benefits it in fact brings in real time, which is including salvation, regeneration. And again, that helmet of salvation. Don't estimate it. Don't estimate. Don't, don't underestimate it. And that's all that the evangelicals have done is underestimate both baptism and the supper. You don't even have to believe everything I believe about it to get a lot more out of the Bible than most people are getting on these things. But if you can just see that baptism, like you're, you're a Christian, right? Do you know what the word Christ means? You ever like researched the last name of Jesus, which isn't his name, but his title, his title, uh, Old Testament style Messiah, uh, which would be in Greek Christos, both of which mean to anoint because the Messiah was the king who was anointed by God. He's, he's God's own king, the Messiah. Now you are, well, let's, uh, hold on. So Jesus comes along and he becomes the Messiah, the anointed one, when? Who's the forerunner that introduces a new anointing that brings about the revelation of who the Christ is? John the Baptist, baptism. Jesus becomes Christ in his baptism, which then he alludes very, I don't know clearly is the right word, but he does it enough times. He alludes that the baptism in the Jordan River is only the precursor to the crucifixion, which he must endure for the sake of the entire world, and that the baptism of fire he comes to cast upon the earth, he casts first upon himself. Yeehaw. That being the case, having risen from the dead, he tells all his apostles to go into all nations and baptize. Go look it up in the Greek. It's baptize in the Greek. What's it mean in the Greek? It means to get wet with water. And you can say it has to mean immerse, but really you're missing the point. It's to wash it. It's to do the very thing he's been prophesied to do as the anointed one. He's going to anoint you. When you are baptized, you know you can't miss it. You are anointed by the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit with water. You are anointed. You are a Christian. You have been anointed. That's the meaning of the words why we call you a Christian, why your Christian name is your first name is your baptism name. And you come on, baptism doesn't mean nothing. Like, You're an idiot. What do you mean it doesn't mean nothing? At least it gave you a name. Mean nothing. Jesus started it. Mean nothing. I love you guys, but really, hard-headed. Hard-headed. Put your faith in Jesus. Period. And then if you realize that Jesus got you baptized in one of the three in the past, thank God for it. Go get confirmed and get yourself a Bible verse you can use to remember your baptism. Ask your pastor. You don't even have to get confirmed. Pastor, give me a Bible verse to remember with my baptism, please. Please, 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 please. Give me one. I'll memorize it. Please tell me it in Greek. I'll memorize it. I'll say it every day. Go do it. Right? Use that. Power of grace school and all that. huh? But yeah, you're baptized, man. You're baptized. You don't need to worry about that one. Easy question. Hard question? Good question. Awake too often. I like this. Sleepless in. Oh. I have a question about the curses in the fall. Sweet. Oh, why does God curse snakes? I don't think he does. Um, to, to the serpent, God says, which serpent? What kind of serpent? I know. It's, it's awkward, ancient, poetic, archaic language. I'm just not convinced it's just any old snake. Um, I'm going to come back on that in a moment. Uh, because you have done this, it says to the deceiver, the particular legged, wily, ancient serpent who can talk, um, to that one, 
God says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the animals of the field and the beasts of the field, right? I guess livestock would be like animals uh, that are small and beasts of the field, no, sorry. Livestock is animals that are tame and beasts of the field are animals that are wild. Hebrew has very different categories for animalia. It does not follow the standard enlightenment, rationalism, system of kind and genus and all these things. <laughs> uh, instead, it, it does these categories. So you have like big, big tame, small tame, right? You got tame and wild. Uh, you got like bird, creeping thing. And like, um, they, they don't really do so much of like, uh, what carnivore vegetarian. They do more stuff with like the hoof and all that. It was a really unique way of looking at animals. But so to pull that into here, he is cursed above all animals. Okay. And you know, why do we curse snakes above all animals? I, uh, I, I'm not sure we should stop with animal meaning just a physical being. Anima, animate, is a way of talking about a physical clay thing that has a spirit in it that walks around, an animal. Right? It's an animated clay. But it's what is the anima? It's actually a spirit. It's, it's spirited clay is what we say when we say animal. Right? So cursed is the serpent above all spirited clay, above all animals, I'm not sure that means he's a snake. I think this is talking about the devil. I really do. It Leviathan, the Bible is full of talking about this guy, the angel of light, calls him a dragon more than mm, only once. The intertestamental period does it again several times. Uh, so, you know, uh, he's cursed above creation itself. There's nothing less cursed than Satan. Huh? Uh, right. More cursed than Satan. There's nothing more cursed than Satan. Say that backwards. There's nothing more cursed than Satan. And it says, on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat all the days of your life the dust, right? Now, again, there is an overlap here, clearly, with serpents in the grass, to be sure. And maybe they are some kind of diluted reflection of what happened to the archangel of light. But I'm going to say that going on his belly is about him serving his own belly into insanity, and that eating the dust is about trying to take down mankind with him into hell. And that this is, in fact, the history of the devil. He's done this very thing, and it is his curse. Uh, and you've left off the best part, which is where it says that a woman will be born one to crush his head, even though his heel will be pierced. And it fulfills this, right? The curse is, in fact, the first gospel. And it is by the rejection of the devil and all his angels, all who go with him, uh, beyond the beasts of the field, who he still loves. If you look at the last line of uh, Jonah, You'll find out. He likes them cows. So, uh, uh, if a certain Satan, then why are snakes cursed? But they're not. I don't think they're, they're cursed. I don't think snakes are cursed. Snakes are fine animals. You can, you can have them as pets. You know, I, I think it's a bit weird, but like guys, dogs and tails, snakes and snails and puppy dogs tails, right? I mean, it's, just, it's just a guy thing. I was raised in a matrilineal society where I wasn't allowed to get my hands dirty. Right? But most guys don't care. And so, whatever. You know, snakes are snakes. But the old evil foe, he's a different beast altogether. And where he begins here, eating man, is where that ancient power and these beasts we see in Daniel and Revelation show up as. He goes from being similar enough to an angelic snake, whatever that means. Just think ancient Chinese dragon and it gets really clear. And then <laughs> he's gone from that to these tromping, iron, you know, bone-toothed, bear-crushing things. The evolution of devolution and chaos, Yeah. So interested to hear my thoughts on this. Um, well, there they are. Uh, I, my grandma 
God bless her LCMS soul. Uh, I believe she's sainted. Yeah. Um, She preached it. (laughs) Uh, uh, She hated snakes and she'd always quote this verse. I'm allowed to hate snakes because there's enmity between me and the snake. (laughs) Fine. That's fine. If you need that excuse, you can hate snakes just because hating snakes is okay. They're kind of weird. You don't need that verse. But the point of enmity between the serpent and the woman is then hatred between the devil and mankind, and especially mankind is embodied in the pure virgin bride of Christ, who is the church throughout history, who then Eve represents. Initially, Mary becomes a, a real literal fulfillment of, but each of us as the bride of Christ bought with him by his blood, consummated with him in his supper, are part of that as well. So, uh, could you go on forever? Could you go on forever? What time is 11.04? I know I have missed some super chats, so we're going to get to those for sure before we end the day here. If you were a super chatter who then uh, had to go away, oops, that's not what I want. Um, super chatter who had to go away, uh, and I didn't get your question, I apologize, but five bucks from the Joshua Project. I like the name of that title. It says, I believe in the five points of Calvinism, but I also believe in the real presence, uh, typo, uh, of the sacrament of the altar. Can I join the Lutheran church? Um, talk to a local pastor for a while, and he might convince you to soften your last three points of Calvinism, except that the first two are really all we can say for sure, that your reason is what's making you do the last three, and that when you do that, you actually destroy grace at the end of the day. But frankly, if you're never going to talk about it, you're just going to let me preach at you, you're going to agree with me after 10 years anyway. So yeah, you can commune if you get the rest of it, right? Huh? But that's what I would say where I am, and I'd be pretty clear, like you don't get to, to you can disagree in Bible study, but there's a, there's a level. Like on that issue, you're joining the Lutheran church. I'm master, you're disciple. And you disagree, it's because you're wrong. You you own that and you disagree privately. I don't even care. You'll grow to it. The Lord will reveal this to you in time because you're going to continue studying the scriptures and you'll see how those letter three points go further than the texts go. Although they do make a lot of sense if you're trying to do it like a math equation. If, if the last year hasn't taught you that math, while true, just makes it easier for liars to hide, um, well... I'll leave it at Thanks for the, the support, Joshua Project, and, and the question. Again, so talk to your local Lutheran pastor, because if you're going to understand why we would disagree, um, that will be how you would come to agree, or maybe we all get convinced to join you. <laughs> you know, and maybe. Uh, I, I doubt it, though. Jedi Knight Edikin Cringewalker says, um, I feel bad doing it, but Advent, I ask, uh, during Advent maybe, I ask liberal Christians annoying questions like, was Jesus a person as a fetus? Oh. Yeah, that church that didn't have... The body of Jesus yet in front of it, it's nativity stuff, right? Where they took away glowing baby Jesus, had the glowing baby plastic people. That's a church that support, supports abortion. That's interesting. So Jesus said here, you can still kill him. Mary, you got time. Ouch. Ouch. Well said. Well said. I, you got to be careful with these conversations. I don't know how good it is to really rile up people you don't have a strong uh, trust with already. I don't know if it's helpful. But then again, at a certain point, if the madness is mad enough, you just make a joke and you're the only one laughing, but you know it's true. And the Bible's that solid. <laughs> so, you know, an ark of flesh for the word made flesh. That's good. Uh, they get annoyed at their supposed God inconveniently existing. Ah, what was that? The, there was the Lutheran satire where, where Horace shows up to ruin Christmas and no one believes in Jesus except the one guy who dies. This <laughs> is too old. Uh, anyway, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a fair enough sad reality, again, that we have, we have argued with the fool for too long. We have not listened to the wisdom of God that says, do not argue with the fool or you will become like him. And we have in, in pursuit of security, which the old fathers would have called carnal security, we have been willing to uh, endure the fool. 
uh, to let the fool teach, to let the fool lead. And this, this is across the board. We just, we just like being able to be comfortable. And so we do not confront foolish ideas because we live in a society that's told you not to. We are now supposed to be the consumers who just do what we're told and we're thankful that we don't starve. Which, by the way, I like plumbing and dentists just fine, and it's the loss of potential dentistry that some of this tyranny concerns me about. Yeah, those kinds of things. In any case, huh, it is not your task as a Christian to just be grateful for the slop they put on your plate and they tell you, uh, you know, deal with it. It's your duty to care about your neighbor. That's what your duty is. To care about your neighbor's good, and especially if you see your neighbor being stolen from, if you see your neighbor being harmed, if you see your neighbor being murdered. I retweeted something. Ah, there's too many things to go through the Twitter sphere. You can't remember them all. But it was a fairly international spokesperson talking about how a fetus cannot be a baby because if it was, this would be the greatest Holocaust of all time. Like, that's the argument. The argument is that it couldn't be because that would be bad. This is where, again, if you're one of those people out there that's like, why is Fisk losing his mind? Um, I'm going to say I haven't. I found it. And that the pro-life issue is, is the only issue you have to talk about in your political world with right now. And until that issue is solved, I don't know why you would do anything other than join with anybody you can to stop them from killing our, our brothers and sisters in the nation, just murdering them outright, stealing their body parts and putting them into medicines. So, you know, like if, if we can't agree as Christians about that, I think we're done in, in the West. Africa will rise. Maybe Asia will rise. Maybe some of the, the pockets of children left here will rise again. That's kind of my, my agenda. Let's get you to join that. Be part of the outside group that's going to be here again in 200 years. And we're going to, when it's all completely on fire, uh, we're going to have water. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and looking at life that way and looking at your family legacy that way to see that sons are a heritage from Jesus and just sending them off for the atheist to train is not the wisest thing you could do. You know? So, ah, ah. I want to end on that. I want to give you something better to go home with, but it is 11.09. All the way down to the bottom. Let's see here. What do we got most recently? Ryan says this. I'm not sure what to make of Christians who deny parts of the Bible. Usually I stop engagement at that point. We have no foundation in which to build. Yeah, that has been our problem that I was just talking about. We have spent at least 200 years arguing with Christians who say, I do not believe the Bible is true, as if we could talk them into it. And every generation, we just get more of that and less of us. And I think it's because the Bible is pretty clear. You're not supposed to argue with them. You're supposed to say that they are different from you. This would lead to things called splits, and people don't like that. They're expensive. It takes time and energy. It's sad, and you get called names. People attack each other. But the thing is, the fool's attacking you anyway. The fool's attacking you anyway. They're draining you. They're, they're, read the Proverbs. <laughs> you don't want to, to tolerate a fool. You don't want to be mean. And Jesus says, you call your brother, you fool to his face just because like, you're in liable for hellfire, so use this knowledge carefully. But foolish ideas need not be tolerated in the Christian church. And you're right. You know, when you're talking with someone who says, I'm a Christian, I don't believe the Bible, you need to know in your head they're not a Christian. Or they won't be. Probably. They'll be very lucky. God loves them so much that he will felicitously keep them from the devil's lies which they believe actually destroying them before they die. But there's a long way to go unless you're on death's doorway. And a lot of blue light between now and then. So just be on your guard, you who say you're secure. <laughs> the person who you're talking to who says, I don't believe in the Bible, just know I'm not arguing with, this, with, a, with a goodwill Christian. I'm arguing with a dishonest if we're lucky on Judgment Day, Christian, right? And lucky 
know, whatever. The Lord decides these things. So know that. Uh, and then you don't have to stop talking. Now is the time to stop asking questions. This is again, I didn't make up the genius in this book. I stole it. <laughs> I just made it easier to get to than anybody I think before has. Okay. So, you know, talk them into it is about how you would engage the person from that point. Since we have no foundation to build on, you've got to find one. You've got to find out where theirs is. And you've got to keep asking questions until they detail it. And when you see that it doesn't make sense, don't tell them that doesn't make sense. Say, so can you explain to me how it makes sense that, and then lay out the things that don't make sense. Don't say it doesn't make sense. Just explain, assume it does make sense and they know how and ask them how and they might surprise you or they might surprise themselves and be like, you know, I don't know. And then you're like, oh, why is that? Just let them hang themselves. They have to. They don't know their religion. Unless you're like in an online chat forum with some atheist, they don't know their religion, most of them. Very rarely. And if you just know a, a modicum of yours, oh, you're going to be like the voice of God to them, especially if you can enact a little bit of patience, you know, a little bit of actual charity, see the real unity that you can have with each other. So stopping engagement is not the answer, but you got to change the engagement tactic, and that's the key. You don't engage them like they're a Christian. You don't engage a zombie like the zombie's a human. Straight up. I know, I did. I said it. It's true, though. It's true, it's true. All right, so... Oh, that's very nice, Angela. My reactions in are in response to Red Fisk. Peace, Bible, hearts. Thank you so much. <laughs> that makes me think of our sweet rabbit for some reason. Um, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that's really interesting, I have become so much a fan of y'all... And what you get out of this and what this show turns into through your works and efforts and lives where you are, um, I love it so much that I don't ever want to get off. I get on. I just want to keep going. I may come in this week. We'll see. I, I've got a new setup again. There's a problem with the power here I got to fix. I've been waiting for one thing to come in, but the mail for Amazon for this time of year is all off. So I can't get the thing I'm waiting for, but hopefully I'll get all that fixed next week. And if I get that set, I might be at a place where I'll go live randomly during the week. We'll see. I spent an hour just engaging with you guys, seeing what you're talking about uh, on the side and all that. Um, uh, but before we go, I am going to ask, where to go? I'm going to promote one more thing. I don't have a card. Sons of Solomon. We haven't talked about this enough here recently. So let me, let me ask you this. this. This is a note card from a platform uh, document I got. It's a, uh, a right-wing document. You know, do you know what your party stands for? And what I want to ask is, do you know what your religion stands for? Right? On things like, well, kings, mobs, taxes, humans, self-defense, medication, gambling, television. What's that bottom one say? I can't get to it. Oh, what does that say? Um, oh, porn, trans. Ha, it's just one word, porn, trans. <laughs> the whole problem of sexuality in America. What does your religion say about abortion, about the relationship between man, woman, and child, about pluralism, about civic liberties, about religious liberty, about public education, about asylums and orphanages? Does your religion say anything about that? Are you a Christian? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And Sons of Solomon is here not to be the answer to that, but to believe we need more of those answers. To be pro-life, to be pro-creation and environment, to be pro-neighborhood, which means to be pro-father, means to be pro-brother, means to be pro-family, means to love the Bill of Rights, it means to love the Ten Commandments because they, in fact, tell you to exercise the Bill of Rights well, right, for your neighbor. Uh, that is what the Sons of Solomon is about. And we're not going to do this by becoming an organization with lots and lots of money. We're not going to do this by becoming some sort of a formatted program that you can pick up and apply. We're going to do this by being the most simple idea ever. Well, almost a simple, dangerous idea recently to come about for young Christian men. 
which is that all of us, no matter what denomination you are, are going to pray the same nine psalms for this next year. Let's do it, 2026, 2025, whatever year it actually is. Uh, we're going to pray these psalms. We pray them every day. We're going to pray them until we understand them, until we have them memorized, till they bleed in us, till we say them not only in the morning but uh, throughout the day because they just come back to us, till they become the words of our hearts, the meditations of our minds. And from there, we'll have some unity to build on, especially while everyone else is fracturing. You're going to grab down tight. You're going to get the root that matters, which is that Jesus Christ is a mountain that cannot be moved. And since you're inside of him, you cannot be moved. And you're going to stand on that. And when Christian men stand on that, Christian women will follow. And when Christian women follow, Christian marriages will occur. When Christian marriages occur, Christian generations will be produced. If we have not been producing Christian generations, the answer is not to wag our fingers and shake our heads. Woe is everybody else. The answer is to stand up. Take some ownership of your own life. If no one told you to be a man, I'm telling you right now, start praying those psalms. It'll change your life. Get in the Proverbs. It'll change your life. Don't wallow in the muck with everybody else. But stand upon these ruins knowing you are anointed. You are christened. You are a son of God. A man, if you are, a head of creation. A woman tied to the ever-living king who has elevated you far above the station of evil men. Own that. Walk with your head held high all the more as you see the day approaching. We'll catch y'all next week. This is the best. This is the best. Every time I do this, it will not let the music work. I'm, 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 I'm. Hold on. <laughs> I have to hit that button, and now I'm going to run it back like this, and it's all going to work right now. Uh, go away. Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, heavens help me. To Betsy Murgatroyd. I can't even get to it now. <laughs> it's on close. Oh, I know what happened. <sighs> Can someone meme this just for fun? That would be great. It did it again. Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>